mic check. Everyone got one. What's your opinion? This is the rare room. Tongues won't be bitten. Ain't no rules, just spill it. And anybody can get it. No limit. We get to kill it. You tuning into the thrillers. And no, ain't no stopping. No. Any topic. Even the random. Yeah, I hope that you're ready. We entering in the zone soon. We on a grown shit. Welcome to the rare room. What's up, everybody? It's your boy, Hilliard Guest, and you guys are listening to the Screenwriters Rant Room. We keep it real. We keep it opinionated. We keep it what? Mouthful? 2022. 2022. <laughs> Chris over there, mouthful <laughs> full of food. <laughs> so I need to eat, man. I'm hungry today. I won't wait. It was phone call. I, didn't have, I forgot I had this phone call. Hold on, wait. Let me just jump in. Yeah, finish, finish <laughs> Y'all know how we do it on the rant room. On the show, we discuss entertainment, TV, film, music, culture. But our focus is always screenwriting, stories, craft, and shit like that. You hear his voice, Chris Derrick in the building, on script for nine weeks and shit, and on <laughs> script for a long time. Uh, <clears throat> and I, I'm late. I was late today because I had a phone call about uh, the financing for my horror film. Nice. And so, which I, um, it just it just went a little long. It's 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 all good. It's all sure. good. My buddy in Germany, mm. I think he's gonna. You know, he lives in Germany. He I met him here. He used to do international for Fox and Lucasfilm and for um, 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 Arne Milchen, and but he's but he's German. And so I'm trying to figure out if I can if I can figure out the foreign sales. Just off of the the concept, okay. Because it's a horror film, you know. I, I it's a low budget thing, mm-hmm. two three million dollars. It's about people in their early twenties. There's not stars for that really. That really travel. Yep. But then again, the horror film doesn't necessarily need to travel. Just as long as the concept feels right, right, like right. potent enough. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's what we're having discussions today. Okay. Besides that, I'm 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 so I'm trying to buy these tickets. See the you pia- always try to do something to buy the pi- to, to see the piano lesson in, in Broadway. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And I just are you trying to see top? What's it called? T- uh, top Dog Underdog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to see both, but it's just can't figure out my dates yet, so I can't buy the tickets yet. And I'm N- watching Nicole and Chris, I'm watching the tickets. The Chris was gonna direct. They were they were looking into doing Top Dog here. Was it at the Pasadena? At, at the uh, under Pasadena. The at the Beverly Hills Beverly Hills Playhouse. Playhouse. Um, I always say Pasadena playoff. Um, I mean, it is great. So. <laughs> yeah. <exactly. laughs> and so, anyway, so there was a issue, and they don't want to have it playing in more than one place. And I find that fascinating. They do Into the Woods in like nine places nine around the places, world. Like yeah. what the fuck? Anyway, I'm just generalizing. Like there's other there's other shows with like when I was a kid growing up doing musical theater, we'd be doing Guys and Dolls here. There'd be Guys and Dolls in fucking Santa Monica or somewhere. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So no, there no, was that's true, but. You had to look at it this way. That's a revival. This is a revival too, mm-hmm. but that's kind of like um, an American songbook type of thing, you know. And they're not having like these high profile like 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 Hollywood actors come in right. to do this to do this piece again. Okay, and that's why I think they were like and and, and they want to make it more exclusive. They, they want to make it more exclusive, okay. and they want to funnel it on the Broadway to come see this thing. Right. And the tickets are pricey, so yeah, sure. Um, but yeah, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just trying to okay. do that. I'm trying to do that. I have a question for you. I want to talk to you about this. I didn't get a chance to chime in online. I want to. The Woman King. Oh yeah. What's the deal with this movie? Have you seen? Do you yeah. see it? I saw it two weeks ago. 
at the uh, press screening of it because I had the interview lady from the for the uh, Dana Stevens who wrote it mm-hmm. for the Writers Guild, <clears throat> and um, I mean, I think we have to talk offline. <laughs> it's one of okay. those, but but I I encourage everybody to go see the movie um, because we need these type of movies right we need these strong females we need the strong female directors we need these female writers whatever it is and the movie is um a story we haven't seen before it feels familiar because we all know what's going on in wakanda and he's got the female right. you know warriors who take care of him so it feels familiar in that sense but this is clearly not that right you know and i think that's the expectations you think it is going to be like that but it's much more grounded you know what I mean? Right. So uh, I think that's what kind of took me out just a little bit because I kept thinking something else because the trailer makes it feel like it's almost Wakanda. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they yeah. were like, let's use that, but it's not at all. Mm-hmm. It's much more of a love story between, you know, uh, a guy and a girl and a mother and a daughter. You know what I mean? So it's got a beautiful. You see, and that's what I learned because, you know, there was some discrepancy on the internets, as we would say. And I chimed in saying, just go see it, you know, Mm -hmm. and because everybody's like, why is this white writer, you know, writing this thing, whatever. And I'm like, sometimes the bitch comes in with the best pitch, you know, and you know this and we all know this. Sometimes it's mainly about who's on that fucking list. Yes. And we ain't on it. Yeah. And if you want to get it made, sometimes that's... I, I remember when Detroit came out mm-hmm. and everyone was upset that Kath, Catherine Bigelow had directed right. it. And I was like, you think that movie gets made without Catherine Bigelow? Nope. It does not. Nope. <laughs> Maybe now, because Anthony yeah. Mackie's Anthony exactly. Mackie. Exactly, yeah, for But sure. at the time, no. Yeah, yeah. Now, oh. we, now we can get Anthony Hemingway to do it or something, right? <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Well, here's the thing. I, I know people were upset about that movie because, yeah, Catherine Bigelow did it, you know? But... She's a hell of a fucking director. A brilliant yeah. director. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I coming, don't, coming I, from you. I'm, 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 <laughs> exactly. I mean, I don't know too many people who essentially reinvented themselves. I, like, it's so go this. She really <laughs> changed yeah. her career directory, okay? She, right. I mean, I, I, I think if you people look at her career. It's an interesting, you know, and this is, this is, you know, I love this. Is studying people's careers. How do they pivot? What do they do? Right. Everything like that. She came out of the scene with a great fucking vampire film called Near Dark. Mm-hmm. One of the best that ones ever. Dope. One best ones ever. Yes. Um, and the, and the, it was like 86 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then she, you know, had a relationship with James Cameron. Right. And then she was in that sphere as being looked at as, as James Cameron's wife mm-hmm. and who also wants to direct so so being that it kind of took away her own type of uh persona yeah. as a director because mm-hmm. yeah. her next because she did a movie called the Widowmaker oh, yeah, yeah, which, yeah. with Harrison Ford which mm-hmm. didn't do too well and, mm-hmm. the, and then she did a movie that James Cameron wrote that he I guess he was gonna do called um oh what the is that it's a really it's got Angela Bassett in it um, Strange Days Strange Days oh you yeah, know? yeah I remember that yeah, yeah great 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 movie it's got yeah. one of the, I would got, love that movie yeah, yeah it was movie. a good one <laughs> great movie and it's, I think it's a great movie it's, yeah. it's, it's more prescient now than what it was when it came out because no one mm-hmm. was, no social media all this kind of shit like this but it also has one of the coolest steady cam shots as the opening mm-hmm. scene, is the opening shot in the history of cinema in my opinion mm-hmm. um, and then 
Yeah, she did that. She did. So, so, and then she wouldn't make her, which didn't do well with Harrison Ford right. coming after. He was coming up after Air Force One, didn't, and then was like, "What's wrong with her?" Right. You know, and she didn't work for a while, mm. and she came back with Hurt Locker, Oof. which totally was a different. Like her aesthetic had changed. Yeah. How she wanted to tell stories has mm-hmm. changed. All this stuff had changed about her. I mean, it took a long time, and then she was like, "I'm different now. Right. I'm going to show people a different type of like Catherine." You know, mm-hmm. and then she followed that up with Zero Dark Thirty, which you know, some people don't like the fact that you know th- that she. That's two in a row. Yes, two in a row. But 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 she. But I remember people were saying, "Why should I watch a movie th- that glorifies an assassination?" <clears throat> mm-hmm. I was like, "That's the genius of the storytelling right. is to make you feel compassion yeah. for the killer." Yeah, it's a thriller. It takes yeah, you through the this. The person who is the, uh, the only, I hate, people hate this too, but the only person I know who has really done a job of making you feel for the killer, mm-hmm. the bad person, the really bad person is Woody Allen with Crimes and Misdemeanors <laughs> and with there. Match Point. Because he makes you feel sympathy <clears throat> for the killer. Mm-hmm. And and the killer in both those movies is like a selfish motherfucker. So that's <laughs> genius writing. I don't care. You can hate him for everything you want. to. All the stuff, the bad behavior, all that. That is the master class of storytelling. How do you take someone that you don't, that you shouldn't like? As, particularly in America and Hollywood, <clears throat> we, we, we have to love our characters so much, mm-hmm. or, to, or they're not giving us money and blah blah blah. And he and he rolls out crimes and misdemeanors, and you're like, oh shit, I actually agree. He should he should kill that woman. <laughs> he should kill his mistress. That's not a bad choice. And that's like that makes you feel bad as a person potentially. But you're like, oh, it's a movie. It's not really me. Yeah. So so I feel that so 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 she does. Catherine Bigelow does Detroit. She's coming off. Of, she's coming off of like Zero Dark Thirty, and it's like here's opportunity to do a movie that no one wants to tell. Yes, mm. nobody wants to tell that story because it's not. There's no. There's no. Um, uh, it's not. A, it's, it's. There's. There's. There's not a happy ending. No yeah. happy ending. Yeah. Happy yeah. ending. It's a total tragedy for so, sure. So she basically took the currency mm-hmm. that she developed <coughs> off of an Oscar win because mm-hmm. she got the Oscar for yeah. for Hurt Locker yeah. and then the Oscar nominations on Zero Dark Thirty and said I'm going to put that on the table mm-hmm. and gamble and see what happens right. now I'm sure she's not thinking yeah, I see why we call it the red oh room, people so. are going to trip because <laughs> I'm white telling the story and I'm not black and the whites are the bad guys but that movie was that scene in the house yeah. and I mean you just the way a shot for acting it's tight yeah. it's, it's just no. you know it's just uh, whatever it's, I mean. it's, it's <clears throat> look she did an amazing job with it and that's the whole thing right is like sometimes it's more important for the story to get told right and we all sort of need to acknowledge that like yes it's great that there are more opportunities for all of us folks sure. who ha- are melanated and come from different yeah. places but sometimes like I, I tried to get a Black Panther story told and I had all kind of, I even had like oh, white way back. superpowers behind me. Huh. And they were like about the women in the Black Panther oh, yeah, Party. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And people <clears throat> were like, oh, you know, we just want to tell like happy stories. Though. We want to tell black joy stories. Yes. And I was like, I don't know about you. A whole bunch of women standing up to the patriarchy feels pretty joyful to me. Completely. But I agree with you. I mean, I mean, look, I mean, that's the only thing that, 
this is holding me back from watching. Slide your mic over. This holding me back from watching the Woman King because. No, go see it. Go see well, it. Well, I mean, yeah. I, I, this, I, I'll see it. But the, the thing that's holding me back is is that I don't. I don't trust big budget Hollywood cinema to entertain me anymore. Okay. Uh, I, I feel because of this whole thing about we we have to keep it happy. You know, mm-hmm. it's like oh, I I really. Like really? Because I was just watching the second episode of um, uh, uh, the last movie stars, right? The thing about mm-hmm. Joanne yeah, yeah. Ward. Oh, so good. And <clears throat> they talk about the, th- the 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 two the two movies that really catapulted Newman to stardom mm. was The Hustler right. and HUD. Yep. Mm. And Paul Schrader gets up on there when he's talking with Ethan Hawke. He's like, HUD is like one of the most important American films ever because they don't make because the guys who wrote it they never try to make you identify or like HUD it's funny I was thinking most people under 40 have never even heard of that movie to their loss to their exactly. loss brilliant this yeah. great movie with Martin, Martin is directed by Martin Ritt it's Paul Newman it's and it's Patricia Neal and it's the the thing about it is is that is that Paul Newman the, the movie work like, it's, it's a tricky movie to make because you have to have someone that people really love mm-hmm. yep and he's and he's he's not playing against type but he's using his charisma as your off-camera love of him to not view him as the darkest soul. For sure. Because I feel like if you, if that movie's done, let's just say that that, that movie's given Marlon Brando mm-hmm. instead, right? Now Marlon Brando, he's arguably a better actor. It's arguably. Arguably. We'll, we'll say. I'll say that. Know, so, we'll, I see where we'll, you're going. We'll put him on the table. Yeah. But he doesn't have the same charm as Paul yep. Newman. And that movie That's fails. Important. That's very, important. It's important yes. for that role right. because you're like, fuck, this guy's, he rapes a woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the man you're supposed to like identify with mm-hmm. as the lead. It's not that difficult, but you're following his story and you and, and there's no ability to like, um, you know, I mean, well, you could walk out or, but you know how in a book you don't like, you just yeah. close and you're done. Right. So most people aren't going to do that. And the same thing in The Hustler is like he plays a character who is so fucking full of himself. And but he's broken. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's this scene. There's a, there's a little clip in the movie in the in the last movie star. But I love it in the movie too. Is that when he is that that when he's first playing Minnesota Fats, and it's like you know, and and, and it's his turn to play, and he's rolling up, and he and he's talking shit to him, and, he, and he's like he's like he's like, hey, fat man, this is my table, and the way he says my table mm-hmm. is like so vicious. In the scene, and he's like playing and knocking balls down, and everyone, and 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 then you know, just like, okay, this motherfucker's gonna fall just because of the way he yeah. said, just because of the way right. he said that line, yeah. not just what the line is kind of, but the way he said it, and it's, it's like it's a setup to something. Wait a minute, it's a setup to something you talked about in your book. It's a callback. They're gonna yep. bring it back to something else, right? right. <laughs> exactly. Right. I mean, it's and it's the thing that I just, it's the thing that I look at as like the downfall of like big studio films is that okay. is that it's like are you gonna put me in a position where's the viewer where I'm have to wrestle with what I'm watching you know and I don't know if it's like you said everyone's gonna, everyone's gonna be happy all these people are just gonna be happy he's gonna be happy he's gonna be happy or we're not you know or they don't wanna do it they're afraid it, I've talked to people recently who we were talking about like shows again I hate them talking so long 
Somebody um, had a Red Bull, as you see. Yes. But, 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 but the thing is, is let's that get to our guest now. <laughs> I just what well, last point. Well, last point. And whatever the thing, the, the thing is, is that like, no, never mind. We, no. Well, but can <laughs> can I finish a, yes. a thought on that for you? Because part of it is that our business is so fear based, right? Yeah. And we know that. Yeah. And so you see critical acclaim right for underground railroad but mm-hmm. a whole bunch of people wouldn't come watch it because right. they were like i don't want to watch that narrative anymore even Correct. though barry jenkins is brilliant yep. and you see them get backlash for being yep. made for a white audience yep. not for a black audience however i totally disagree is. with that yeah but you know that totally. was a lot of the yes. commentary yes. and so people don't come watch it and so they're to their minds that's oh i can't make anything where it's hard for black people because black people don't want to see that and it's mm-hmm. like no we just want it to not be the same narrative. Correct. Like you can have black folks just live in their lives and bad things happen to yeah. them because that's how life works. Right. And that's okay. But just stop giving us the right. exact same sort of narratives. But mm-hmm. they can't. It's they're so linear in their thinking sometimes. They're afraid. They're well. The, the fear of the liberal who's who or the who knows they're really liberal. But but their, but their mask is they're liberal. You're, they're afraid that if they do something that will give them backlash on black Twitter that that, that <clears throat> they can't then justify. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, but to who? Who are they answering to? Martin Luther King is not sitting around with a, like with a stick and wrapping their hands. Mm-hmm. You know? And the, black people come to the, and the black people will come to the theater almost regardless if it's a movie. They'll come. Yeah. Because yeah, I mean, we, that's a hope. I mean, but no, I just feel like if if a movie is kind of well put together and doesn't pander to black people, I give a love seeing this on the screen, so they'll come and see it. Here's here's one interesting thing I will say before we jump into Nicole Levy, by the way, who's here, our guest, <laughs> we'll jump in, is just going back to The Woman King really quick, there's really only one or two white people in the entire movie. One in particular has lines. The other ones are just slave masters and stuff in the background that you see doing the slave trade, but they don't say anything, you know, pretty much. And so that I thought was pretty clever because she brought that to my attention when we were having our call. She said, did you notice that? I was like, oh, shit. Like, I didn't even because you see them in the backdrop when we're in those places. You think they're a part of the story. Mm -hmm. So that that was a genius on the way Gina directed it, though, where you didn't realize that. They were way back there in the background, right. and 99.9% of the people who had lines were all black. So with that, <laughs> if you guys are grown, we're going to jump into the show. Here we are, 20 minutes into the show. As y'all see how we <laughs> Chris on that damn Red Bull, his third one of the day. That's my third one. That's my <laughs> only one of the day. I got the videotape. Uh, <laughs> so uh, today we got the sis in the room, Nicole Levy, executive producer herself. Got the new book out that y'all all can go get. Uh, it drops October 4th October 4th to, oh that's next Tuesday yeah week Got from it. Tuesday yeah so a week from Tuesday this is dropping tomorrow by the way um, her new book The Writer's Room The Survival Guide go get it y'all have seen me post it um, um, hopefully people are buying that is shit it, is, it, is, it, <clears throat> is, is there a pre-order link up in um, on Amazon right now yes yeah. okay. yes so you can pre-order will, it through Amazon or on bookshop.org okay so yeah. we will drop that in the show notes, yeah. everyone. Do not. Are they going to do a, I think we talked about this briefly. Are you Are you guys going to do an audible, do you know? Yes. Are you going to narrate have, it? I have books. I have dates scheduled to go and read it. Good. good. <laughs> so I'm yes. an audible. There hey. will be an audible version. Yeah, yeah. Um, awesome. 
But uh, so everybody, welcome to the show, executive producer Nicole Levy. How you doing? Good. I'm How good. You? Thanks for yeah. having me. It's Indeed. good to see you. Indeed. Um, we've been wanting to have you on the show for a minute, so the timing is right. You know, we actually planned it so we could do this like right when you dropped. So we could, of course, had you any time, <laughs> <laughs> as you know. And anytime you want to come, yes. you could just say, hey, let me come hang out with y'all. And you, you could just come on the show. So just so you know. All right. um, we're pretty much here every Sunday, just about. So just so you know. <laughs> um, with that, uh, what's up? How you been doing? I've been doing good. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, I just in terms of update, I finished uh, my second feature. Okay. Uh, which is called Spark, and it's about Claudette Colvin, Ooh. and uh, Anthony Mackie's going to direct it. What? So I have turned is this that his, in. Is this his directorial debut? Wow! Sonia Sydney's going to star in it. Really? So we're very excited. Um, so that's I have handed that off to the director, and mm-hmm. we'll see uh, when that whole plan's going to come together. Just been you know show hopping and uh, getting ready to start a new project tomorrow. So one of the things that um, I love about you is your you know, Chris and I are very involved in the Writers Guild, and you really get yourself involved too. And um, I feel like we did a post production one, didn't yes, we? Yes. Yeah. yeah. But that came out because, if I recall, one of the shows you were on, you went to, was it Ireland? It was somewhere, Scotland? You went oh, somewhere. Fate, yeah, Fate the Wink Saga. I went yeah. to Ireland. You went yes, to Ireland. That's what I remember. Right. Yes, yes. And you were the producer on set for like two or three months you were there for a while yeah two months yeah and so the things that you learned during that time when you were like okay we gotta do a freaking presentation on post and, yeah. and and running the sets and all this it was a brilliant one um let's talk about that a little bit about because it's a lot of it is in your book in, as far as the writer's room mm-hmm. but one of the things that that i want to talk about just briefly before we get into the book is is um, your experience going over there because we haven't had a lot of conversation about this um, but your experience going over there um, to run the set there and the things some of the things you learned and assumed and it wasn't true whatever you know what right. I mean just to set the stage on the show you know you were the only writer that was there on set for the whole for the whole run is well is? so my showrunner and I were both over there and uh, I basically we were shooting in three blocks, so we because oh, okay. we had six episodes. Mm-hmm. And so the original plan <laughs> was that I was going to prep the second block, and my boss was going to cover set. And because we had there were so many things we hadn't nailed down about the VFX and all that stuff, he decided to flop it. So he continued with prep, and I covered set in the first block. Okay. So I produced the first two episodes of the show. Okay. Nice. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um. You know, the the biggest thing I learned mm-hmm. was that you can shoot a show in a reasonable amount of hours and people can get home and get sleep. Yep. And because where we were, uh, there was a 10 hour limit to your okay. day. You could shoot for 12 hours, but it was like a special situation. Oh, really? So we did it a few times. This is over, this is, this is in Ireland. Yeah. We shot in Dublin. <clears throat> and um, you could not shoot past, I'm going to say it was either 8.30 or 9.30 at night hmm. unless you paid special fees. Hmm. So, so you did not like, have... Was, this is not OT. This is something different. This is just regular. Wow. Yeah, that was like uh, you literally have to pay commission fees, I think, to shoot at late at night. So you okay. have to have Game of Thrones money to got shoot it, nighttime. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> it was astonishing. Like, I was so stressed about it because hmm. I'm so 
I come from the 12 to 14 hour right. day and you know, oh my God, what if we don't make our day? Right. It's all gonna be bedlam. And not to say that we weren't stressed, we dropped scenes, we had to find sure. time to pick them up, all that stuff. But the difference in quality of life for people to be able to work 10 hours, mm -hmm. break for the day, go home and prep for the next day, come back. It was astonishing to me because I had never experienced it. Let me ask you a question. Did you guys do the French hours with the food? Yes. See, that I think- Explain that to the audience. Who okay, so, so the French hours <coughs> is, is that you don't break for lunch. You have right. the food available so right. people can go eat whenever they're hungry, like the full meal type of thing. Right. I think, I mean, look, I prefer that. Well, you don't like to stop. So That's why, yeah. because yeah. it, because if people know there's lunch half hour beforehand they start yeah grumbling an hour for lunch an hour to like get back up to speed mm -hmm. so you so, so so you give up two and a half hours you lose total momentum for you sure do. because of that yeah so. you do absolutely and i found it worked really well for us and in fact it turned out to be great prep for me because of course i came back to the u.s and ended up joining SWAT the next season, right. and COVID happened. Right. And so we were shooting 10-hour days, mm. and we did the rotating lunches, and every, you know, I was like, oh, I know how to do this, y'all. <laughs> and they were like, really? And I was like, because nobody else had ever done right. it before, and I was like, yep, I've done this before. Mm -hmm. And so it was, it was a really great experience. Right. Um, Just interject, this is the thing that I feel is what really hurts American productions. And like all up and down the line, I feel that a lot of people in Hollywood are afraid to like, they're afraid to do projects overseas. They're afraid to do this kind of stuff. They be blah, blah, blah. But it's like, you know, get out of the mindset of what, of like, like get out of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Learn the new skill because it'll help, it'll, it'll expand what you know how to do. Right. You know? Yeah. I mean, look, I, as far as I'm concerned, and I definitely talk about this in the book. You're, you're always trying to figure out how to do things a different way or better or because it's a, it's a constant, everything's always shifting. The right. sand's always shifting underneath your feet. Right. And so the more you know about how to have conversations with the VFX people to achieve what you want, the more you know what you need on set to make that happen. Yeah. Like I, I remember when I covered set for Cloak and Dagger, was down in New Orleans and we had like a literal hardwired dagger that mm. would be in her hand when mm -hmm. we needed to shoot it so that VFX could then enhance it and do all the stuff to it and it was the logistics that it took to make this dagger work <laughs> and I was like okay I had no idea this was so involved and I was coming in right as they were actually trying to simplify it mm. so I it was better than it had been really? but it wasn't as good as it was gonna be mm. and so like the learning all the stuff we had to do to make the dagger work was so important because then when someone would be like, well, can we add that dagger in here? I think that'd be cool. And I'd be like, no, no, no we can't. And here's why. Right. Money, time, no. Right. <laughs> right. But you learn that stuff by being in the moment and experiencing it. So. Facts. Facts. Yeah. 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 That's the thing about, I, th I think, I just say, I remember on Star Trek, we would do stuff and be like, hey, that's going to cost $5,000 mm -hmm. to fire that to f to show that phaser shot on screen, can we do it off screen to hear it? Because the because what you because what you really right. remember about all those things is the sound effect. Right. Yeah. You, know, you don't have to hear the. You don't have to see it. Uh -huh. just, right. Oh, you got shot off screen. Okay, you're good. You're dead. <laughs> we killed you. <laughs> so today we got Big Sis in the room. Nicole Levy, her new book, The Writer's Room, Survival Guide. So let's talk about. Um, I remember when I was reading, I was 
listening to the story of how it all came about, mm-hmm. you know, and how, you know, Carol Kirchner, you know, encouraged you. Let's just tell that, that, that uh, like, you know, your short version of how that came about. Yeah. So Carol Kirshner, for any of you who aren't, aren't familiar with her, the she icon. runs the uh, <laughs> Viacom CBS Writers Mentoring Program. She works with Humanitas. She helped get Mentorship Matters off the ground. And she runs the showrunner training program at the yeah. Guild. And so she is my Jewish mother <laughs> and um, helped launch my career by accepting I got Levy. It sounds CBS. like you in there I know, somewhere. Right? It is. No, very definitely. Um, but helped launch my career by bringing me into the CBS uh, Writers Mentoring Program. Yeah. And she brought up to me, the, you know, she thought this would be a great book and her publishers were interested. They just had to find someone to write it. And I was like, oh, that would be, that's, that's a great idea. You should do that. And she was like, no, you you should do that <laughs> and and i know a lot of her reason for that was that i had because my first several seasons were on one and done shows and right. so i had to keep changing rooms and changing showrunners and i had a lot of experience in different styles of rooms right. and so that was wow. sort of her reasoning That's and so I was like, okay, well, let me try to write a table of contents and see if I have anything to talk about. <laughs> and it turned out I had a lot to talk about. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I'm, I'm really glad you ended up doing this book. I think it's going to be a huge success for you. Um, you talk about, there's, those of us who have been in the industry for a long time, we're familiar with a lot of things. But what I like is I'm always trying to find ways to give people game in a shortcut way, right? Yeah. And that's what I found. As I was going through the book, just like even scrolling through chapters, I'd be like, oh, yeah, just the way she phrased that was a simpler way to say that, you know? Mm -hmm. And of course, you get to your whole table of contents where you go into like, here's phrases and things that we use for, you know put the button in it or whatever yeah. it is you know what I mean yeah like that whole segment there was worth a million dollars you know to yeah, writers well yeah because 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 you know what is interesting about that is is that um you know every industry has a jargon yeah right and I feel that most people who are outside writing trying to get in or whatever the people who are who are talking and like giving lectures and trying to be gurus and blah 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 they really talk about the inside language <clears throat> yeah and yeah. The, and and the inside language is kind of key to you kind of understanding how the thought process works and then all because like hey you say hey like you know like you have to put a button on that you know right. or, or we say oh hey sometimes that you've gone past the button right. kind of thing you know it's like oh it didn't end on a button yeah <laughs> it yeah. means a lot of things yeah. it means a lot of things but, <laughs> exactly. but, 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 but the thing is as the writer when you're thinking you're like oh I need to end the script with something that, that there's like that that goes boom right. whatever it is and I, you know, the story I just can't end my story I need some right. sort of like the whatever the Richter scale it needs to pop just for a second right. and, and, and then you need to say oh if I go past that what am I doing? You right. Know? And, and so, and, and that's why you got to know that stuff, you know. And I yeah. think it it it, it helps it helps it helps you with the craft. Like if people say to you, "Hey, it's just, you know th- this is the peanut butter and chocolate." Yeah. You start going, <laughs> "What does that mean?" And right. then you think about the Reese's right. thing. And you're like, "Oh yeah." It, yeah. it would help you think as a writer what your scenes need to do or how you figure out scenes if you know the jargon because yep. you know that people are they're looking for that. 
right all the time absolutely and i'll never forget like the first time someone said it's a hat on a hat and i was like what does that mean <laughs> just like a bernstein like, bear type of thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> like i was like mm. and then like i the conversation kept going and i figured out like oh you're saying like that's that's another like a, uh, a flourish on a scene that doesn't need it. Like, yes. okay, yes. okay, yes. got it. You're, almost, you're yes. repeating yourself. Yeah. Gilda Lily yeah. kind yes. of thing. There's, there's yes. all those little phrases that you have. I mean, I remember when I first heard it. My first thing in my head, in my head was there was that there was that uh, that Bernstein thing that, that was called old hat, new hat. I was like, yeah. this this is wrong. It's, this is not, <laughs> not what you're saying. I know this is not what you're mm-hmm. saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Let, let's talk about some of the things in um, in the chapters in the in the book. Um, you talk about when you first get your first job. <clears throat> this is something I talk to emerging writers. I, I personally don't like baby writers. I just think we're yes. all grown people. We shouldn't be called baby anymore. I agree. Um, but one of the things I talk to writers about a lot is this. So you get the job. And this You totally cover this pretty 97% of the way I would have said it, but better. Is... You get the job, here's what people below it. You don't even know who's sitting. You're mainly talking about when we're in the room, which is hopefully we'll get back to that. Some rooms are doing yes, it. Yes, some rooms are already so back. You're, and I like that you didn't go, we're online, we're on Zoom. You were like, we might be past this. So you were looking toward the future. I, I'm putting that on you, right? <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, girl. So here's the thing. Most people just show up in the room and be like, okay, here's the room. But like you said, you usually get that email that's like the introduction yep. to the entire room. The start. Everybody email. gets the, you know, <laughs> and you see everybody on that thing. I mean, go and look those motherfuckers up, like you said, so that you can be like, oh, that person wrote on that show. I love that show. Yes. Right. Yes. Go ahead, it gives you it gives you a point of conversation with yeah. people that are probably going to be strangers to you. Yeah. I mean, I I had the <clears throat> incredible good luck of having one of my best friends in this business be the other staff writer on Ironside Mm. and someone I had met through the CBS program also being on staff on Ironside. So I had a couple of familiar faces, but everyone else was new to me. And so I had looked them all up and like, one of our writers wrote The Rock, which mm-hmm. I love like a crazy person. Uh. One of our writers had written on Once and Again, and mm-hmm. it was like, oh, oh my God, I love this. And so I could find things to talk to them about. Right. One of my friends had worked with someone else on the staff, so I could be like, oh, so-and-so worked with you on CSI. Mm-hmm. Like, great. So it just gives you, because you're gonna be nervous as hell. Like, especially if your room's top heavy, which yes. is more and more common as you're Explain breaking into the Explain that to the, the people business. who don't know. What it will mean if your room is top heavy is Which is in your book, but just in case. No, no, no. But um, basically staffing is done from top down. So right. your showrunner's gonna hire their number two or their e- who's an EP or a co-EP. They're gonna hire the next person down. So the lower levels come last. And what typically will happen is especially with streaming rooms where they're worried about people being around for production and that kind of stuff, <coughs> they'll try to top load so that they have people whose contracts extend into production. Yep. And so when they get to the lower levels, there's not a lot of money left. So there might be like a staff writer and a story editor. Mm-hmm. And y'all are gonna come <coughs> in and be working with people who've been doing this anywhere from 10 to 25 years above you. And it's a little intimidating. Mm-hmm. So having something that you can just walk in the door and be like, oh my God, I saw that you wrote on, you know, NYPD Blue. Like, that show's amazing. And like, you can talk about your favorite thing. It puts a face on it. Well, well, yeah, because there's a guy in our room, um, uh, the number two, who 
has the he's a white guy, but he's the wildest fucking background because before he got into but but I think of why he's so great on our room in terms of the the content we're doing because he was involved in the hip hop scene right. in like the early eighties. You know, like mm-hmm. like just I mean He came from the music side? He, he came from the music side. You know, helps. like he helped he helped he helped a lot of people, you know, I mean I, I might be slightly wrong with this one because the I, I want to say he was the one who got the Fuji signed. Okay, so wow. like like that's kind of where his thing mm-hmm. is, okay. and then he did from that, and he did some musical in New York that he won't say what it is. Um, but that gave him, a, but people saw it. Hollywood and said, "Hey, can you come out and write right. some? You know, this was like the early '90s. Can you write these kind of things like after the Boys in the Hood? Can you write stuff like that?" Also, never played out, and then and then he got on Frasier wow. for a long time. That's a so you're like, okay, wait, 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 wait. You got a guy who's a hip hop background. But then he write, wrote on Fraser for a long time. He's got to be you smart. Know, he's very smart. <laughs> yeah. And then he did Castle before this, and okay. he did for a long time. And he did Hawaii Five O, and now he's on this. But it's like, but it's it's funny because like in the room when he's talking, he'll drop these little like these these just he'll drop these little lines that are just these jokes mm. that you know that was like that's from your Fraser training. Oh, interesting. You know how to make people yeah. laugh when you like something that's not. It's like a it's a joke that and like. But it's it's not like a ha ha joke, but it's mm-hmm. like if you catch it, you'll think it's funny. Right. Um, yeah, it's interesting, you know. And then the showrunner also like Adam Glass. Like I've known I've known of him for a long time, but I also know that he, you know, like wrote comic books for a long time. So a lot of times he'll say something, and I'll say, oh, it's and I can tell people aren't getting it, mm-hmm. and 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 then I'll say what the analogy might be in the, like for a comic book. Like oh, this is Batman Joker thing, right? He's like right. yeah 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 yeah, mm-hmm. you know, because it it just helps with you kind of like like figure, right. figure out how to talk to people. You know, because you don't know. You don't know yeah. anything about these people, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, absolutely. I was, I was, when I was reading it, though, what I was thinking was, like, um, we've all interviewed, you know, lots of people. You've done it and you've moderated stuff. What it reminds me of, like, sometimes when I'm going to meet somebody I've never met, people always ask me, are you nervous to meet, you know, such and such a person? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no. There's something about clicking on their photo and seeing it or just looking at an interview they've done before and hearing the voice and be like, yeah. oh, okay, yeah, and they're just another person who's just successful. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Takes all the weight of it for me. So that's why I like what you said about looking everybody up if you can. Yeah. And you can. You can. I mean, if they've been working, you can <laughs> yeah. look them up. And the other thing to go along with what you're saying, it's also a reminder to you, this person had a first job once. Right. They didn't emerge fully formed as an EP. Yep. They were a staff writer mm-hmm. on a show. Like, I remember one of the days that I laughed so hard on Twitter because Sean Ryan ordered the box set of... <laughs> Nash Bridges so he could have his first written by credit on DVD right. and I just thought that was such a great thing for him to share That's because funny. it's like the you know all his fancy credits and he was like no but I need my first episode of Nash Bridges forever right. on DVD <laughs> <laughs> yeah well no it's, it's I mean like, like you need that kind of understanding of the humanity of the people because you know depending on what the room is depending on what the show is trying to do things could get silo very quickly yes you know like you know uh again like who like who works on what and things like that i mean the thing i remember on my on, on star trek mm-hmm. the uh two of the writers that have worked with the showrunner before you know there's like he just, he just came from uh 
He's he just came not Magnum. What's the show with the the? Uh, he came from MacGyver. He just okay. came, he did one season of MacGyver, and so and he brought like a writer with um, him from there, just one from there, and then he and, and then he brought the guy who was number two was this guy who he gave his first job to on Twelve Monkeys, and he stayed on the Twelve Monkeys staff for him mm-hmm. the whole time. And then in the season three, he brought in another friend of his from Twelve Monkeys who would just sign like overall with CBS. So it was like so, so he brought together this team of people who he had worked with before mm-hmm. and they had this shorthand. Yes. Talk about these things like these like they would mention little like the, like some code words about episodes on 12 Monkeys because because yep. the guy who came in it was also got his first job at 12 Monkeys and he stayed on the whole time. So it's interesting to, and, it, and it was kind of interesting to try to figure out like how do you break into that like that brain trust you know and I realized oh you know what it has to it has to be watching 12 Monkeys <clears throat> yep. you gotta watch the whole thing I had right. to be able to watch it to figure out what these guys wrote and be able to understand what their kind of like their shorthand was you yeah. know because uh, it's helpful to be able to be in the conversations about anything, you know? Yeah. Or just to reference things. Because sometimes they would reference, oh, this is, you know, the back half of this from mm-hmm. Tom Monkey's. Like, motherfucker, I don't know that yet. I haven't got that far in this. That's season three. <laughs> I'm still season two. You know, but it's it's interesting. It's it, I, I think what the whole point of this is is that it's like your job when you get in is to do the research. Yes. You know, because it will help you be able to be the best person that you can. You know. It's absolutely your job to do the research. And it's also like in a situation like you were talking about, right, where there's a shorthand amongst some of the, the top of the writer's room to do the thing you're saying, which is, oh, okay, they're all making 12 Monkeys references. Let me go watch 12 Monkeys. You better Monkeys. go watch it. And the do other your thing due diligence, you can do, as you say in the right, book. Do right? your due diligence. And as you're trying to get through it, because you also got a job, so it's not like yeah. you can mainline four seasons of 12 Monkeys overnight, but you could be like, in the room and they start making jokes and you could do exactly what you just said you could be like y'all i'm still in season two what's that joke about like and <laughs> yeah, make it funny, funny. in right, the room right, and like right. bring humor to it because as long as you're being fun and inclusive about it yep. you can usually do that kind of stuff yeah. or or teasing each other about you know who watches what like I'm notoriously the person who doesn't watch the cool stuff everybody else is watching. <laughs> I don't watch anything anyone watches. And then I always love, like, when I was in the Cloak and Dagger room, I was still, um, I was, like, heartbroken because Person of Interest was ending. Uh, and Elementary was my other, like, great procedural love. And... Hold on. Jeez. <laughs> they coming that to get you, Nicole. Up. They coming, coming to get you. And, um, you know, some of the writers in my room would tease me and I, about, like, I can't believe you watched that. And mm-hmm. my response to that is always, like, I, it's not my fault you don't know what's good. <laughs> and it's like, you know, and I just go about my merry way. And right. I don't, you know, every writer's room I've been in has been obsessed with Game of Thrones. I am not yeah. a Game of Thrones person. So while they're talking about Game of Thrones, I go to the bathroom, I check my email. Yeah. I just, like, let them talk about their stuff. I don't care. Yeah. But I'm not watching it. I'm sorry. Yeah, like, I've, tried. <laughs> I've I, tried. I didn't get it either. I, I made like, a good hey. faith attempt. Yeah. It's just not a me show. Yeah. I got four or five episodes in yeah. season one. You know, yeah. I don't know. That's just me. Um, so let me ask you this. When you wrote this book, how did you decide? Because remember you said you came up with this glossary table content. Mm-hmm. So do I have enough to tell a story? Right. How did you decide here's where I'm going to start? Or did you just put together the contents and go, okay, I'm going to start today and write about this thing. 
oh, I'm going to do this thing tomorrow? Or did you try to keep things in like the order of following the path of a writer coming into a show? Here are all the steps you need to go through. Did you more so do it that way? Or yeah, what? I did try to do it um, in terms of the path of like from the day you get the job right. through the development of your career. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like um, it, it made more sense to me that way yeah. in terms of a shape. Because those are the questions people are yeah, asking you, you yeah, know? Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, I, I get asked some of these things so frequently. So it was like, okay, like, let's just talk about, like, right. the literal, I walk into the room, what happens yeah. next is so intimidating to people. Yeah. And so I wanted to make sure we talked about that. And then, but also to get to the point of, okay, so now I'm a, an executive story editor and someone wants to have a development meeting with me. What do I do? Right. Because I get those questions now, too. Mm -hmm. What's your mouthful? She said, Yoji <laughs> said, like you said, oh, there's a shape to this. And I realized that's a term they say in the writer's room all the yep, time, too. All yep. the time. Yep. Okay. <laughs> What's the shape of this? Oh, yeah, yep. I can't see the shape, you know? Right. Yep. Which is, to me, I think on your own, you're saying to yourself, I don't see the story yet. Yeah. I don't see, yeah. like, the. It doesn't make a perfect circle. Form. It's, you know, it's, like, it's, like, what is this <laughs> thing? Yeah. And like, and it's just like it's it's so. But see, I feel how you designed the the you know the contents like the layout. Like the thing is, is that people love to think about the steps. Yeah, mm -hmm. it helps them. It's 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 kind of like um, um, they're guardrails for people. Because they're walking into this territory they don't know anything about, and a lot of times, people that you know, it's weird because I feel a lot of times, people, for some reason they don't want to ask upper levels questions. Yes, they're like I don't want to like intrude on their time or or I, or I like it's the whole thing. This is a dumb question. I'm like, there's right. no dumb question. Correct. There's who who whoever taught you there's a dumb question. Well, let me ask you this, though, piggybacking off of that, you being an upper level writer EP, yeah. how do you, do you, you talk about this in the book, about different types of showrunners you have, right? Mm-hmm. If, if you come in as number two on a room, let's just say. Yeah. And you realize the showrunner isn't very, he's much more focused on his top heavy people. Do you make it a point for yourself to be like, you know what, I might need to reach out to the other writers, the other lower levels, and make sure that I go in their offices or whatever, you know, yeah. talk to them, because they're not. Yeah, uh, honestly, I do that at the beginning, regardless of the type of show okay. that I have. I think it's really important to give the lower, everyone basically of a, a lower level than I am when I come into the room, mm -hmm. someone they know they can come to from day one. Right. So I will write an email to everyone and be like, hey, just so you know, like I know what it's like when you have a question and you're mm -hmm. scared about who do I ask, Y'all can come to me. If I can't answer it for you, I'll either tell you who to go talk to or I'll get the answer for you. That's a good ally. And yeah. that's how I do it because they need to know from jump, like, okay, there's one person I can go to mm -hmm. with my question I think is dumb. Because you're right, there are no dumb questions. I would much rather you ask me, hey, is it okay if I try this at the end of my act break? Mm -hmm. So I can say to you, oh, God, don't do that. He hates those kind of <laughs> right. act breaks. Like, don't do it. You try it, you know, try something else then have you turn in a script with that thing he hates at the right. end and I'm going to be like, oh, yeah, why didn't he ask me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny because it's like, I, you know what? 
I broke my episode on the equalizer, and I'm going back and forth with the number two one. And he and I are figuring out like there's some issues with like we're trying to figure out an act for the the uh, the out for two and the out for three, and we, you know, and we're good with what it is. And I'm writing the draft, and he comes in, he goes, and then next episode we're breaking. When I'm right, when I'm figuring out the thing, he goes, oh, you know, Joe hates direct pickups. I was like. My episode's got direct pickups all through. <laughs> what, what, are you, what are you talking about? Is the fuck is this? But Information that would have been helpful. helpful yeah. You know, <laughs> and it's stuff you approve. You knew yeah. I was doing this. That's hilarious. Um, but 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 I will say. Hold on, hold on. Tell the kids with direct pickups. I hate when people don't know what stuff. Uh, is. Okay, so the direct. So it's weird. It, like it's weird because you never think about this. But the yeah. direct pickup is on a broadcast show. When you leave to go out of an act at the mm. end of commercial, right. and you come back at the like the second later, right. you know. So yes. hey, there's hey, there's a gun pointing at Queen Latifah, and Deepa, we pick up, and we pick and we come back, and that yep. gun is still pointing at her, you right. know. As opposed to going to another scene, or, what, or, 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 or that's what you usually do, and that's the thing. I mean, to me, I always find it's weird. It's hard for me thinking about stuff because it's like that act break is so forced. It's not, it's not, it's not gonna happen. I put the gun on you. <laughs> right. We gotta figure this scene out. But it does gotta, make you curious to tune in. No, yeah. it does. That's you why. Know? That's it why. Even though everyone that. knows Queen Latifah's it's not getting killed, but they <laughs> but, come and back that anyway. That to me is what I'm like. I was like, can she get shot? Uh-huh. They're like, no. I was like, I'm not saying kill her. Just let her get raised. <laughs> yeah. They're like, no, Chris. There's That's like a hilarious. style to everything. <laughs> but um, I was gonna say one thing. What you're saying about the coming in to the new writers, the thing. The guy who was the, this guy named Sean Tretta, who just was the showrunner on on the on the Zora Room, if they do it, mm-hmm. you know, he, uh, he came in as the num- the new number two on season three of Picard, and I remember like the end of that first week, if he came in there, you know, like he came in and gave me this like talk, just for like you know, he's like, hey man, this was gonna happen, this is I just, I know you knew it, just this he, he gave me that talk that let me know, oh, he's the guy I can go and talk to, whatever. Mm-hmm whenever you yeah. know about anything um, because I didn't get that in the first season and mm-hmm. maybe because we were on zoom you know and all that and the second season two, three we were in person you know but I just feel like that rapport of like you said of, of if someone lets you know I'm aware of what your situation is because yeah. him telling me that and him telling he's, he, he's telling me what it was like when he was first on 12 monkeys and I was like it goes back to you saying like like about earlier about hey this person didn't come fully formed this way and he's letting you know I understand where you are you know and, mm-hmm. I, and I also think that because he's Latino you know and I'm black and the room is mostly white there was this other sense of like oh you know he's also speaking from the point of view of like I know you're not white so right. there's things that you got to right. consider that you know that the, the rest of them don't have to consider cuz right. he cuz he had to consider the same things too you know when right. he got on the show and I think that's very important for for the for the writers of color to talk to other writers of color about just like them cuz you're going to yeah. feel uncomfortable about a lot of things when you come into a room yeah. that are probably Wrong yeah. or things you shouldn't be worrying about because just because you think I mean look there's you probably know this too there's so many stories about how hard it's gonna be for you as a person of color as yes. a staff writer <laughs> so many and there and you know what I don't think of I like I can't think of one positive story about about it they're well, always th- bad think about it though we're the only ones in the room it's just my opinion 
we're in the room because there's a black female, for example, in the room. They're like, oh, that's why we brought you in, Nicole, yeah. right? So you're in your head going, am I doing this right for her? Well, there's an Asian girl, too. I got to look out for her, too. You know what I mean? You're doing all those things where they're just like, oh, I got to pitch for whatever. Yes. We're like going, does this make sense? Will Twitter kill us? Will my friends not look at There's all this other pressures on us. Yes. There's you know? all the societal pressure that yeah. you bring in. And, and I would say that's why I think that reach out is so important. For anyone listening who's about to number two a room, even more important if you're still on Zoom because you don't have that in-between time to glance by each other's offices and hang out. You're not (laughs) eating lunch together and everyone's a little like, I don't know who I actually really know here. Mm -hmm. And so you have to find a way to build community for your room if you're meeting on Zoom. It's crucially important. One of the things Ben did with our Alex Cross show is like every month he would have these little mixers at the office so that all the writers would come over and just have some drinks and some food and stuff, whatever. So because they never met each other yeah. until we started doing that, you know what I mean? So I thought that was really cool, you know, to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I was I was on a room. It was a hybrid room, and so part of the room was in LA and part was in New York. And oh. so getting together, all of us was very difficult. Right. And so we did um, Thursday morning coffee hour. And so the first hour of every Thursday, we would just literally get together and someone in the room would pose a question like, you know, what was your favorite memory from high school or whatever? And we would just share and and laugh with each other and, Mm -hmm. you know, and sometimes it was very serious and heartfelt and other times it was just ridiculous. But like (laughs) it helped you get to know the people that you're working with. Yeah. I mean, the thing that's funny about our room on Equalizer is, um, you know, there's two women who were who were both from New Orleans and they're both mothers with four year olds hmm. and so uh is one is black one is white um but it's interesting because they because they were because because they were able to like talk about their children and talk about what it's like like grew up in New Orleans in a way that was inclusive to everybody because right. that's a city that I think everyone was kind of interested in in a way sure. it's got a whatever it's got a damn you know it's one of those cities one of those cities you know it's not it's, it's not like it's, it's not like Springfield like where the Simpsons are from like where are you from <laughs> you know it's, it's whatever so it's like it's interesting because and then <clears> there's so many other mothers on the show so there's a lot of talk about being a parent and what it's like trying to be a writer and a parent and they're all the kids are all kind of in the same age range Mm -hmm. you know so they're all kind of going through the same kind of thing you know it's interesting as a guy who doesn't have any children to hear the like what they're going through and even the guy on the the two other guys on the show they all have kids too Mm -hmm. you know and all around the same age so it's interesting to hear it's it's a it's a way to to break the barrier of hey we're at a job and we're writing you yes. know and I think you need that I just feel like it, it, it again what's interesting is that you it helps you with telling your stories because then you because I remember just the other day like something that this that this girl Ashley she had mentioned maybe months ago about an experience I was like oh it's like the time you did this mm-hmm. you know because and it, it helps with it, it it just two things one it lets her know that I'm listening to her mm-hmm. so I'm like in, into her what she's doing and then second mm-hmm. I'm like it makes you say oh yeah what people talk about is 
it's 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 stuff you can use in the room yep. and people aren't gonna like try to shoot it down because right. hey it's almost if you yeah. sh- if, if you shoot this down then you're invalidating which is her, like her life right you know st- like a life story okay you know? here's here's an interesting thing so piggybacking off of that you were talking earlier about um people are always worried about losing their jobs and imposter syndrome right there's a segment I had it opened up a minute ago. Oh, you talk about making yourself invaluable. Yes. Right? So this is piggybacking off of what you and Chris are talking about. So one of the things I'm always telling everybody is this. There's a lot. Actually, this actually could be like one of the ways to keep you from having imposter syndrome too. But think about it like this. So let's talk about what that means to make yourself invaluable first. And then let's talk about some of the elements of things you could do. One of the things that I'm always talking about is, for example, um, and, and during this whole segment, we're talking about ways you can help your showrunner and the room right. to keep moving forward and so that you aren't just sitting there not doing anything, right? right? Because sometimes as a staff writer, you're sitting there feeling like, I haven't written a word. Right. Because guess what? Most of it is about not writing. Most of it is about ideas, yes. right? Now, here's a cool thing. So I always talk about who is those other characters? You know, we talked about this with Ben, the other four or five down the list that we haven't gotten to. And you know it. How many times have you been in episode 106 or 8 and you haven't used those other characters that much? Uh-huh. And you're going, we're, and the showrunner's like, we're paying their fucking, they're, they're getting $60,000 a week and we're not even using them. You could also be the one to be like, oh, you know, the character of such and such, I got a whole run for them. You know yeah. what I mean? So this is what I like about what you're talking about here. So let's get yeah. into the making yourself valuable segment. If yeah. You yeah. I mean, and it's a lot about because to your point, right, you're the staff writer. You're not going to necessarily solve any of the big problems yeah. that are happening in the room, but you can look for your ways to contribute, which are, first of all, when you get there, just Watch the room. Watch how. Watch who pitches, and the showrunners like yes, put it on the board. And watch who pitches and loses the showrunners' interest, because you want to sort of model the successful style. Yeah. And and not everybody's a great pitcher in the room. Yeah. Not everyone is a natural at it. Um, I used to write them down. I'd I'd yes. listen to the rhythm and be like, oh, she said such a oh, and then she punched that word. Yeah, <laughs> whatever. It's smart. I am a huge proponent of always have a notebook in front of you Mm -hmm. because not only to take notes on like, ooh, like the Sherwinner seems to like this or he likes this, but also, and I keep saying he, he or she, (laughs) um, uh, but also so that you can write down your thing. If you're like someone's pitching and you're like, oh, and what if we did this on top of that? And you wait to see what happens and then maybe now you've got it there, you remember and you're like, could we yes and and do this? And so, yes and, yes. Or pitching into this. Pitching into this. (laughs) And that's when you are adding on to a pitch, building a pitch. And so you're acknowledging, I like that idea. And what if we also did this? Correct. So that it doesn't feel like you're crapping on the pitch that came before you. Because it's ignoring it. You can do it easily. Whatever it is. I mean, mean, so much of what makes the, 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 the dynamic of the room work and what you're talking about is... How do you show that you fit that you mesh yes. with the rest of the staff? Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is just acknowledging what they said, you know, because because the thing that is the worst thing is someone says something and no one says anything for like 
30 seconds. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, that lull you know, in the quiet. And then people just jump into something else. And you're just <clears> like, it, I mean, and it happens because cause, cause maybe that idea, no one knows how to, to what to do with it. Everybody's yeah. thinking about you it. You know, like, oh, it could yeah. be cool. You know, whatever it is. But, but just the acknowledgement of, okay, that was a cool idea. Or if you go, oh, you, hey, you know, the thing that Harry said a minute ago. So what if you took that and spun it this way? You right. Know, cause, mm-hmm. cause, because, you know, whatever it is, there's a the whole thing. You know, the, the, that's the thing about, they always tell you, you know, you don't want to be the one who... Um, uh, who just mixes pitches? Who, yep. yes. who shuts people down, or blah blah blah, or or, or have the you know, if you don't have a solution to something that's problem, then you could kind of say something that the thing that I tend to do sometimes if I don't have a solution, I know everyone is is messing up. I might pose a question to the room. Yes, questions know, are like, great. Hey, because I think this is right. You know, because then it like kind of pulls you if everyone's stuck. Then maybe this helps us get unstuck, you know. Yes. Without, I mean, because even if you don't have the answer, what you might say, because you, what you've been thinking about, maybe what you wrote down, like, like it might not work, but it might say. But if I pose this in a way, it might get people going in another direction, you yeah. know. And that's what's helpful. Questions are <laughs> a big help. You would never because sometimes you're like, what is it we're actually trying to get to, <laughs> like. Because people are getting hung up on one part of the idea right. of like it's tied to the romantic story in the episode, but if what you're really trying to do is actually get the key piece of evidence dropped that's right. going to get you to the next scene, you're like, okay, so let's focus on that part mm-hmm. and then come back to the other thing. And so sometimes you asking the question makes everyone go, oh yeah, let's let's not worry about it. let's put a pin in that and let's keep working on this thing right. and just allows you to move forward. I once uh, on the Mysteries of Laura, Jeff Rake came in and was like, I was thinking I kind of want to do a serial killer story. And you could tell like the whole room was like, on the Mysteries of Laura? (laughs) And I was like, what does a serial killer story look like on Mysteries of Laura? And it got Jeff talking and we figured out a serial killer story on the Mysteries of Laura, right? But like we needed to know in his mind what that looked like, because that's a lot of things. And our show had a very specific tone, so mm-hmm. it was sort of like, how do we how navigate do you do that? that? How do you, yeah. And because we started the conversation, we found the story. Let me let me ask you. So I was I was talking about these elements that you had in this mm-hmm. particular thing. Just bringing it back to that really quick, because I love it. You're talking about. So these are like ways that you could bring value, yes. right? Yeah. So I think this happened to you, if I recall, on one of your shows where I know it happened to me, where, for example. Especially once you once we get into production, and you're you're coming close to your twenty weeks or whatever, the people mm-hmm. in the rooms, and writers are starting to go off, and the room is getting smaller and smaller. This is when this usually happens a lot, right? Where they're like, "Shit, I got to do the story area. I don't have time." Yeah, and they'll tell you or they'll hint about it, but most people just sit there quietly. Be the person to be like, "I'll write it." Absolutely. You know what I mean? So that's that's what this segment is about. It's like right. here are the different elements you could do to get yes. that attention. So this is what I wanted to get yeah. into. Yeah. So it's it is that, right? It's every almost everyone hates writing story areas. Yeah. So especially if one of the upper levels has to write one, you could be like, Hey, I could take the first draft. Right. And then you're not starting from scratch. And they will almost always say yes. Always. Because they hate <laughs> writing story areas. Mm-hmm. Um if you know, you one of your upper levels or your showrunner has an episode and they need, you know, the outline done, you could be like, you know, hey, do you want me to take any of that for right. you? Like I can do a couple sections. 
um, and they will normally happily be like, please, please <laughs> exactly. do. Exactly. Um, if you if the, you need sides for casting, con- like the it's so annoying when, especially if you work on one of the like NDA shows, so you right. can't give them real script pages. Yeah. So you need whole scenes, and you're just like, ah. And so I'm like, I can write sides mm-hmm. because you're still going to send it to the showrunner for a pass, but they have something to start from. Yep. Yeah, I mean, look, that's true. You know, I did that on Star Trek. I wrote sides on season three, and <coughs> we. It was like that NDA, like, and we couldn't say what the show was, and it was like, can you create dialogue that like <laughs> fits within like the type of like heavy Star Trek jargon, but not write it in a way that's going to reveal Star Trek, right? You know, so I was like, well, it's a military show. How is there's there's a whole lot of military jargon you can right. use that is that is the type of tongue twister that an actor has to be able to do to be able to talk about hey fire the on torpedoes you know like all that shit <laughs> yeah. when I say that and right. it's like do you have the ability to memorize or or to to do that with authority mm-hmm. because on the show it's like I need you to be part of the, it was people for the bridge crew and it's mm-hmm. like okay I got you know write that you can't be <clears throat> like tentative about hey, we're getting shot at and shit like you you have like 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 issue that with a commanding voice. And that was a trick to do, you know. I mean, I mean, the thing I like to do is I, as you know, I, I ask to, to tell everybody up front if you, if you need anybody to, to read anything, you know, I'll, I'm available to help you do that. Yeah. It's just because research, like, do, like research, yeah. like you know, you know, like like the thi- the the main thing you're saying about I'll take the first pass, I'll do this is you're taking you're taking work off their plate. Yes, and that's what happens because it, you know. You know they're gonna do a pass. They're gonna make it sound mm-hmm. like th- that they won. That it's you can't take any offense to that at all because that is your your job. Because yep. they were hired for their voice. They got to give that to right. whoever's gonna see that. You know. Um, so that's the thing that you you, you think about in a way. And then, it, like you said, when once production starts rolling, and they don't have time. And they're like, you know, I, like the hours could be. I'm sleeping. I'm going to sleep at one. I got to be up at six for you know to, to be at, on set. Mm-hmm. So and like that's their that's their day, you know, like week after week after week after week. What and it's always like, what can you do to lessen their 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 mental burden? Yes, they'll love you. You know? Absolutely, it's the it's the key, and and that goes for it's the showrunner, and quite frankly, like. If you have other writing EPs, if you have, other, you know, co-EPs that are writers, like, just be of service. And it's amazing how that helps you build relationships. I got my first feature by being that person. Wow. I was that person on Allegiance. And so all my EPs loved me. And then when George was like, yeah, I need someone to help write this movie with me. They were all like, you should talk to Nicole. You should talk to Nicole. <laughs> and he was like, you're right. I should talk to Nicole. And then I got to co-write a movie. Like. Mm-hmm. It just, but it happened because I was the person they knew they could always count on. Right. There was no job I was going to say no to. I was always there, even if the room was down because we were having production rewrites and whatever. I was in my office, so they could come in and be like, "Hey, can you do me a favor and write a quick version of this?" And then I'm going to figure out how to incorporate. It. Sure, mm-hmm. got it. Mm-hmm. Sit down and do it. So it's it's being willing to say yes to stuff that those people don't have time to do. And, and it's it's always writing work, right? Even if you're writing s- story areas or whatever, <coughs> it's writing work and yep. you need practice doing those. Yep. I got on a show where I was one of the only, myself and a writer I had worked with before, were the only two people who had really ever written story areas. So we wrote all of them. 
Well, then that's because there are some shows that they don't do. Yeah. You know, yeah. or you come in late on a show, and you know you're working on a Ryan Murphy show, for example, and who's going to give him a freaking story? Or, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just exactly. as an example. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because sometimes you're on those shows where they're like, they don't even do outlines. Sometimes. No. You know, yeah. Just, Here's the beats. Go. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, because you know? on 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 Star Trek, we didn't do story areas. Mm. We did. We did these kind of like. Story out. I, I I don't know. They're different than what we did on Equalizers. Like like we did these outlines to show the well. What Terry called them like is he called them the sales doc yeah. for the for the episode to send to it's a better the, way to look like at like to the network yeah. people is like and it was like hey can you just summarize the episode in like four pages you know so they know what's happening yeah and it's different not an outline because i mean it, i mean maybe there's the outline. i don't know i mean on 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 the equalizer the outline is list every scene mm-hmm. you know number it so we don't know how many we're doing because there's a f- number there's a number, oh, there's to, a number. There's sweet a, spot uh, well yeah. well there's a number that the, pr- the production can handle yeah, if you're yeah, over yeah. it they're like no um, and then explain every scene. Like explain, like hey, hey here's the slug line. Mm-hmm. What's gonna happen? What's gonna happen? So they, so yeah. everyone can follow it, which is different than our Star Trek. I was just like, hey, just make them feel like this is gonna be in a cool episode, right? You know? We did visual. that on yeah. we did that on SWAT as well. We called it a story synopsis. Okay. And so it's it, you're literally telling them like, here's our main story. Here's our yeah. cool couple yeah. sub stories, but you're not giving them all the details. Mm-hmm. Whereas in an outline, you're literally telling them here's everything that's gonna happen. In yeah. the scene, which I I I think the synopses are great, <coughs> and then I I but I still need an outline to write from. Yes, I, trying to write from a synopsis makes your head want to explode. So, like, well, now you're all in your head going. I think I think they might like this. It's those two. They've already cleared these things. Right, right. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, for everybody because yeah. the network is, knows what it is. This, I mean, the outline with the scene things is everybody knows what the scenes are going to be. Right. Yeah. And there's no question about like, well, you deviated. Yeah. Because if you send in that little summary, you could deviate in a lot because you're like, well, this is what I would do. Yeah. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> well, you didn't tell me. You didn't. You, you read. This. I mean, the thing is that no one knows either. But I mean, a Star Trek like we all knew because <clears> we. Base those off of what we broke on the board. Well, that's the thing. You know? Yeah, you still so, have board beats. Yeah, to follow. so so you kind of know. And the thing I realized is, as long as you like get your board beats in and make sure your act outs are fine, you get a lot of leeway. You know, I mean, at least at least that's what we did on on Star Trek. You know, what it was gonna be, how it was gonna be. You know, uh, whereas whereas I can tell on Equalizer, the outline. You know that kind. Of, you know it's been rewritten by the showrunners. Sure, there's di- there's dialogue in there that I'm like I gotta have that in the script because yeah. if I don't, <laughs> they're gonna be mad. Yeah, you know it's I just really funny thing. It's one of those things about how how you 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 see what the the showrunners trying to say that he wants, and then he always. I remember on my episode. This thing that that Adam came in all the time, and he was like, "Yeah, they're stealing the Maltese Falcon." He kept saying it. He said it like nine or six times: "Maltese Falcon, Maltese Falcon, Maltese Ooh. Falcon." And we were like, "We can't do that, the Maltese Falcon." When we were like breaking Ooh. the thing, and then I happened to be reading a book where 
there was a treasure from Malta that was stolen, and I was like, I'm gonna use this. <laughs> so I'm, not, you know, I'm, it's, so it, it's 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 the Maltese treasure, but yes. no, it's not the Maltese Falcon. And then this script, I have someone say, Oh, it's like the Maltese Falcon. He's like, Ah, oh, I wish. You know, so so I kind of play it off in the script too, you know? Yeah. Because I just feel like he like that was the touchstone for him you know to understand it so no absolutely there's even a thing in the glossary i want to say it's like a cave full of skulls or whatever where like the showrunner keeps saying like but what if it was a cave full of skulls and it's like okay it's a cave full of skulls because the showrunner said it seven times (laughs) so it's a cave full of skulls that's what we're doing um but and and then i think to the invaluable part so it's all those things we talked about and it's also you mentioned research right at the end of the day when you go home if it's a like we still got a giant hole in act three go home and think about how to fill the hole and come in the next day and if you're not entirely sure about the pitch you can hopefully find the me in your room Mm -hmm. and be like hey i had this thought about that hole in act three what do you think and they'll be like great you should pitch it or if you're nervous about it they'll be like hey nicole mentioned this cool thing to me today like nicole pitch that in the room and Mm -hmm. like set you up Right. So that you you are contributing because you're trying to fix a problem that exists, and and you are coming with real solutions to right. the thing the work we need to do today. Okay, moving on from that in a positive way. So you're in the room, you've done your outline. Now let's move to your first script and navigating <laughs> the pitfalls, which is a f- one of my favorite parts. Yeah. So. Let's talk about this whole segment because it's, it's fascinating. So you get your script. Yes. You're going off to go right. What happens? So, well, hopefully you're going off to go right. Well, yeah, there's that. Um, because, <laughs> again, every all of this is so showrunner dependent, right. right? So I was lucky enough my first two shows it was, well, I, also it's a mixed bag for me because now I hate leaving the room. But it, in the early days, I got to leave the room and yeah. go right. So you get a deadline, they tell you like, I need the draft turned in to either a co-EP mm-hmm. or the showrunner by X date. And- Depending on the show, seven, 10 days, depending yeah. on the show. Right? Could yeah. be three, I, could I, be three. It, yeah, well, for yeah. you. It could definitely be three. It's happened to both of us, but I think, yes. I, I would say five to eight is more typical. Yeah. And um, you'll go, you know, you have your outline and First of all, you're gonna stay in your office. If you're in an office, you're gonna write in your office. Even if the showrunner's like, you can write from home, no. You yeah, stay, stay in home. your office. I, I agree. Because something's gonna not work, and you're gonna wanna go talk to someone about it, and you don't wanna interrupt the room, so when everybody comes out on a break, you can be like, hey, can I ask you about this? Because it's, it's wonky, I don't think it works. And you can get advice on what to do. And you could pop, sorry to interrupt you, you could pop into the writer's room. Yes. Now, mind you, this is when you're in person. But you can pop into the writer. You could do it now too, because now they have yeah. the what do they call it? You look at it, the writers room pro, writers room whatever. Pro, yeah, you can you can see what's going on. But it helps to be able to walk into the room, and be like, oh, what are they doing the next episode, so that yeah. I don't whatever. Because sometimes you're not in part of that because you're off. Absolutely. So you don't even know what's going on sometimes. And I do that. I would take breaks like two or three times a day and mm-hmm. just wander down and like lean in the doorway and check it out. And every now and then they'd be like, oh, Nicole, we have this crazy idea. Let us pitch it to you because yeah. you're fresh eyes in the room. Yeah. And then you hear the pitch and you're <clears throat> yay or nay. And then you're like, okay, I got to go back to my pages <laughs> so I don't miss my deadline. Right. So most important, most important, do not miss your deadline. You cannot miss your deadline ever, ever, ever. You don't need to be two or three days early. You don't need to be early, but you can't miss the deadline. So let's say, I think 
more typically is a five day thing because so many shows are not as well run as as others (laughs) um so let's say you have five days my advice to you is take your outline and just start formatting it like because write all the descriptions in your outline right so you can just start like description you know put a slug line if it's not there Mm -hmm. and then like okay i need hilliard and nicole to talk about this and then chris is going to come in and say this and do the next one And just get a, a the version, transitions and just the everything. transitions yes. and like start to get the worst vomit draft of right. that script done within two days yeah. because now I literally copy and paste it in the final draft yeah, and just leave I do it. Too. And, and I mean, I I I do it sometimes if I'm really under it. I do mm. actually like to just retype stuff because I'm a <laughs> fanatic would. that way. I know I type real fast, so it's part of my. Process. You just like it to say fade in, and I wrote fade in. That's all. <laughs> but. Um, but then you've got three days to just keep going through it and keep going through it. And right. if there's one or two scenes that you're just like, I really can't get this, like you can really focus on those. And it is perfectly fine to send in your first draft of your first episode of television and be like, or quite frankly, any episode, but very specifically to, to emerging writers to mm-hmm. know that you can be like, I'm not entirely sure the set piece works, but you let me know what you think. That's good. It's taking a weight off of you. And turn it in because it's not, no one's expecting the staff writer's first draft to be great. No one. They're hoping they don't have to do a page one rewrite. That is their goal for you turning in a draft. And when there's really good scenes that you spent hours working on because you did that process, they're going to be like, wow, there's some really good stuff in here. Mm -hmm. That's great. Thank you. And yes, they're going to rewrite you. They're going to rewrite almost everyone on the show. They have to put their voice on it. It has to be consistent. It has to be their voice. But it's you gave them the blueprint to work with. So you're if you can turn in a script that is not a page one rewrite, you have won the day. Yep. Yeah. So take the pressure off yourself. If you are in your first job right mm-hmm. now, it is not about perfection. It is about doing the best job you possibly can where you are in your career right now, which is and you've paid attention in the room and you've yep. listened to what the showrunner likes and doesn't like, and you're gonna turn in a script they can work with. I think I think it comes from, and I talk to you know first-time writers. You, we all have, I'm sure. Yeah, <clears throat> they're all so worried that their name's gonna not going to be on the script anymore. I'm like, they're not going to do that. They're not going to do that. I mean, you hear about those shows, but it's so rare. Well, just two things about that. One, um, you know, early on when they start business affairs and start getting information from you about mm-hmm. the script yeah your name's gonna be on the script yeah now you how you spell it is important yeah like, like, all yeah, that yeah, yeah. yeah. I, 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 did I say, did, did I say yes. it last week yes. when they were like hey it's Chris Derek. I said no 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 it's Christopher B. director get that <laughs> yeah. right um, but it was like um, the thing about is the, 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 you know what could happen you hear about it is that, that maybe the show wanna push their name yes. on the piece you know yes. or um I'm you know I'm I'm not sure how certain shows work I mean like like maybe the showrunner is co-writing with a lot of people you know it's possible yeah you know yeah um, it's really again it sort of depends on the show like Cloak and Dagger was a co-write show mm-hmm. right so everybody was getting half a script every episode I wrote all of mine with our showrunner and our number two so I had the best writing partners right. of anybody <laughs> and it was like okay that's just how it works sometimes what'll happen is you will write your episode and then the showrunner's gonna or a co-ep it could be not your showrunner will do a page one rewrite on it and ask for credit 
As I say in the book, most of us think that's a dick move because it's your job as the showrunner to make the script better. Mm -hmm. It is your job to make every script the best episode it can be. You get paid real well for that. So it's a dick move. But there are showrunners who do it. And if that happens, it'll probably go through arbitration. It'll, But your name's not going to leave the script. Right, right. no. Um, no. It's, it's, not like, it's not like a movie. No, no. And even, quite frankly, with movies, they're very, very in favor of first writer when you go through arbitration. Um, so your name will almost always stay. Where it lands may change, right. but your name yeah. is still going to yeah. be there. Well, yeah, I mean, in terms of what I'm saying is it's like in a feature you know you can come in and do a bunch of rewrites and not necessarily get credit on the thing at all absolutely you know what i mean and honestly this is the way the way they do the arbitration but yeah, yeah. but usually who, whoever wrote the first draft or came with that first idea they're at least getting a co-story on a feature like right whether it is more as that is depending on how, how many other people touched it you know, yeah. it, I mean, because sometimes those, you know, like sometimes it could be nine people touch your or more could touch your script, you know, before it goes. I mean, what, what's his name was this year last week telling us about about his script? I mean, thirteen years doing it, and they didn't put it in production. Was this other writer came in and did a pass, yeah. and he got uh, like like a co screenwriting credit, and the other dude got like the sole, I think, sole story. And then you know, but it was, but you, but you don't know. Like you honestly yeah. don't know. I mean, and, yeah. they, and they did change that with that thing last year with the additional yes. additional material thing. But 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 you never know with us on a screenplay. But on a, on a TV show is entirely different. Yeah. It's yeah, yeah, it's entirely different. And and look, you can usually tell pretty early on if you have one of the showrunners who's going to put their name on everything. And it's just the way they operate. And there's yeah. nothing to be done about it. You just write your version. And everybody knows who they are. Everybody knows who they are. Just like everybody knows who the tyrants are who fire yep. all their staff writers and people of color. We all know. Yep. So it will not hurt your career if you get fired by that person. I promise. Because we all know. And we'll all be like, oh, I know where you worked. Okay. Yep. I know. I, all right. I heard. I know the story. <laughs> How did, you know, well, so was he like we did this? What was she like when she, you know, they just, they're going to they're gonna run that by you. You know, yeah. So yeah, yeah. So this next segment I would like to do. Um, you got some questions written down. Slide yourself all the way up. We're gonna bring in Lamont Edwards, emerging writer, all the way up, all the way up. <clears throat> See how black folks always gotta lean with it, rock with it. They, well, you know, I got a lot of bass in my. No, I'm kidding. There you go. Welcome, welcome to the show, man. Thank you for coming, hanging Thank out you. with us. Thank you. You and you enjoying listening to the game, being. Yeah. This this is great. Uh, the fact that I get to listen to this for free is pretty amazing. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. We didn't tell you there's a, uh, <laughs> there's a fee. Oh, you there's can't trust Hilliard when he says invoice. free. There's, there's an interest fee. <laughs> <laughs> whoa, whoa, where my pimp fees at? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's great because especially for me in particular, I just came off my first writer's room. Right. What were you on? Can you say? I, yeah, I can say it was, uh, it was a Star's Lionsgate show called Power Book Four yep. Force Season Two. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> And, uh, you know, everything you guys are touching on were all the questions I had at the beginning of the room. So I I wish I could have heard all of this wonderful knowledge before that because I kind of learned it uh, on the job, you know. But a lot of people do that. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) you know, that's what I'm saying. You guys obviously have done the same thing. And, you know, and you i've just just in this time learned so much you know so yeah. this is fantastic. he came by the office the other day hung out with me and ben and got got some game 
you know, yeah. <laughs> it, oh, was, yeah. it was fun. So let's let's talk. What what yeah. what what's hitting your brain right now? Anything um, you wonder why we got showrunner level writer on here? Anything? Any questions? Absolutely. And, and this is kind of a, you know based on a conversation mm -hmm. you and I had, Hilliard. Okay. Um, that I'd love to ask you. Sure. Um, how do you find your superpower in the room? You know, when you're in there and you've never seen these people before, and how do you, especially as a, as a staff writer or yeah. someone who's, you know, brand new, how do you find that? Absolutely. So when I first started out, what I realized very quickly is that I was not the big idea person. Mm. Like you would have writers in the room who would be like, what if we did an episode about this? And <laughs> Chris, I'd be like, what? Chris Derrick over there. Holy, what? <laughs> and like, or have like some crazy teaser design pitch mm -hmm. or whatever and I was like oh I can't I that's not how my brain works mm -hmm. and so I knew what I wasn't good at and so as I pitched and stuff was landing on the board I realized what I was great at mm. and what I was very great at in the beginning was okay we have the shape of the scene we know what information we need to get out and the showrunner would be like I don't know though like is it a scene yet i feel like something's missing and i because i am an old school soap girl and i'm always <laughs> looking for my emotional connections right. i was like well but you know don't forget he's keeping a secret from her in this scene and so what we need to remember is that there's the tension in the scene of oh he hasn't told her about the conversation before right. and yeah. be like that's it that's what was missing okay leave that in and so i was very good at finding all the emotional stuff in the scene mm -hmm. To get us past the like, it's a, it's just a working scene right now. Now it's a scene, right? Right. And so that was like, okay, I'm really good at this. And so I rode that train until I started to get better at other things. Because when you're first in the room, everything moves so fast. Yes. And, and everybody's takes, so good. Yes. So yeah, yeah. Yes. And it takes time to build the muscles to follow it all so yeah. completely. I was on a show where. Uh, all three of us who were upper levels were network, were broadcast babies. You know, mm. we had come up and broadcast and we were breaking story one day and we turned around and the other people were like, what? <laughs> what is happening right now? That's and we hilarious. were like, sorry, this is just what we do in a broadcast room. Right. Like you're just moving because the right. train's coming for you and you're just always moving. Yeah. And so, but you get better at those things and like slowly but surely, as I started to think about, oh, these are the big ideas I like, I could pitch big ideas too mm -hmm. and sure. get some of them through. So it's it's paying attention to when you, when you get a win. Yeah. That's what's gonna help you find out what your value in the room really is and you can really focus on that. And, and even, quite frankly, if go. your superpower in the room could be that you're the person who's really good at breaking the tension in the room. Oh, that's an undervalued superpower. That's you. That's me. Yeah, yeah. If if the room is like beating their head against something, don't be afraid to say something crazy. Like I'll be, one time we were doing a thing, and I was like, I mean, we could drive a truck through the building, and everyone was like, <laughs> what? And I was like, I mean, we're trying to figure out how to get out of the building. We can drive a truck into the building, <laughs> and it was ludicrous, but it got us taught. Like everyone laughed, whatever, and then we found the solution. That's well, great. You, you know what's interesting awesome. about that? This this is, this is interesting about getting people to laugh is that you are able to think better when your body's relaxed. Yes, and the more tense you get the harder it is to think. Right. And you think to yourself when you get when you start getting stuck on stuff and everyone is 
they like like they're clinching up to a degree. That, I mean, <laughs> and, they, and, and, yeah. and and they might not even they, and, and and they might not even like notice it. But you can tell when a room when it's getting stuck. And it, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's like look, I love to do that to to come in with 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 a quip about something and and sometimes it might sometimes it might not be story related it might right. be it might be the way somebody had pitched something that like you know and I'm like oh you know what you do right now you, you know just whatever it is to get everyone to laugh I mean and I do it in a way to make that person laugh you know yes. but it's in a way that's like oh like you know like they're not being ignored yes. you know um, I mean look to find your superpower to me a lot of it is also integral to how you pitch yourself in any meeting to get a job mm -hmm. because right. if you understand what you do well or what you gravitate to that's what you're going to be pitching to someone about this this way you need me because right. i know how to do this right. right and then they're like oh okay <clears throat> cool and if they're you know and and and, and almost everybody needs something to help their stories be better, mm -hmm. you know, um, and and also even if you have a trait that is very similar to the showrunners, mm -hmm. that doesn't matter because showrunner he or she's not there a lot, you know. So they need someone who's like who's kind of like their pinch hitter, like in a way, you right. know, about ideas or is it character, is it emotion, or, or is what it is. I mean, to me. I feel like everything you said is like exactly what you got to do. You have to see what works, how people make things work, and then so then what's my spin on it? You mm -hmm. know, like hey, like you were saying earlier, this this how they pitch, this how to pitch lands, mm -hmm. this is what they do. Okay, how do I figure out how to say that in my way so that when I show my ideas, they they land right? right. You know, because everyone is usually <clears throat> again is to what you said earlier about like. It's about the ideas. I haven't written a word yet. You know what? You might not get a chance to write a word. Yeah. Yeah. For a long you time. You might not get a script. You, you, you might not get an episode at yeah. all. For a lot of reasons. Yep. Because the the showrunner might be like, you know, if the writers are off to write the, like a room, he's like, I might need you in the room. Yeah. I might need <laughs> you in the room because I just for whatever it is. And if you're mm -hmm. gone, then we're gonna go. You know, the, the, then we're gonna. Then we need to course correct whatever, whatever mm -hmm. way it is. I mean, that's something I noticed when we were doing Star Trek. Is that like, you know, when we would have breaks and people would go, people would go do things. I would love to go to the set because we were shooting right mm -hmm. there. And I was like, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna go down. Mm -hmm. And I remember, I remember one time Terry said to me, "You can't go to set anymore. <laughs> <laughs> we, we need you here. We need you here. You can't go." I was like, "But, but." He's like, "No, no, no. You gotta stay here. You gotta, you gotta stay here. You gotta make me laugh at least." You know? And I was like, "Oh, okay. You're being selfish now." But no, it's just. But uh, here's here's what I would say is um, I think it takes time to figure out yes. you know what your superpower is. I was lucky enough on the first show that I came in, I knew I was the guy who knew about that particular world because I was there right. at the time. So I knew that was one of my superpowers. You see, that's the thing. You can't just ride on that, though. Right. It's, it's, right. it's not just going to keep you all the way through. The other thing I know, I've always been a moments person. So it's kind of piggybacking off of what you have, where you look for emotional moments. Mm -hmm. I'm looking for story moments and structure moments. Mm -hmm. You know, So I see mm -hmm. things going, I could just look at the board and go, ooh, something's missing. Yeah. You know, I, The button isn't strong enough because, boom. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's a power to have. Right. You it grows, but it, it also comes from like she said. If you watch Nicole 
put the board up. I bet you do it really fast too. Bam, 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 bam. <laughs> but watch it right. and be like, how yeah. in the hell did she did put that board the, together yeah, so, so fast? fast. Yeah. And then you go, okay, she did this, this, this. And you see like the format, so right. to speak, yep. of how it's done. You'd be like, well, she did that in 60 beats, like nothing, whatever. You yeah. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you go, oh. And then you come back and you start practicing at home. If I was to build my next show or my next episode, here's what I'm, you just yeah. got, you got to run it. Yeah. That's great advice. It's, it's so true. I remember, again, I remember I used to watch like Sean Tretter come in and like, and he'd figure out the runs for like two or three acts real fast. I used to marvel. I was like, how's he doing this? How the Because it was not the way I thought <clears throat> when I, when I do my own stuff, you know? And then the, the beauty of being in these rooms with other people is you get to see their thought process yeah. like, like in real time yeah. mm-hmm. and if you're at all a good student you go how do I incorporate that into what I'm doing and it's like I was telling Hillier a couple of weeks ago when I was breaking I'm, I'm putting together a, a pitch document for BET and I was like and I was like busting my head trying to figure out what the pilot story was going to be mm-hmm. and I must have been like it was like it was like a it was like a Saturday, like maybe four out five or five hours trying to figure out what it was. At the end of the day, and I was like, I'm gonna go eat dinner right now. I was like, wait a minute. When we do the episodes on fucking Equalizer, we just figure out the story of every act right. in a sentence. Mm. And then I was like, oh, I'm gonna just do that real fast. And I just did bullet points like here's the here's the teaser four acts for this thing. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that's my episode. Mm-hmm. And I figured it out in like 30 minutes, right. which yeah. was taking me like four hours because I was trying to do it in a way before I was like, you know, all this detail. And I was like, no, I don't need all this detail. I don't need all the little moments. So I just need to know yeah. what's gonna take me here. Like like we're here and it leads to here. Because the thing about the thing about if you do the what's the story story of every act is then you kind of figure out like okay so the act out has to answer the question that I asked that you posed at, at, at yes. the yes. top yes. and at the right. end I answer it but it sets up the question for the next act yep. Yep. you know and, right. and if you start thinking that way you know which is something that you might especially not if it's serialized serialized yes. yeah. is that the thing is that that's something that you probably won't figure out on your own yeah. If you're writing on your own, right. mm-hmm. and the, but the minute you get in the room, you see that's how they do it because that's how you, because this, this it's how everyone particularly on a broadcast show. Yeah, that's how it's that you know, that's the that's the formula of the show right. yeah. of doing those shows. Then you're like, oh, how, okay, so now <laughs> it just makes it easier to incorporate what you're doing. So it goes with here it said about that's how you expand your superpowers. Yes, because right. you, 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 know, mm-hmm. you might have one that you know, but then it's like. I could be like Ultra Boy. I yeah. can have six as opposed to yeah. one. Somebody, somebody, somebody in your room was a dope ass pitcher. Yeah, that's the person that I lean to the most. Yeah, for yes. me. And it's Absolutely. and guess what? It's not usually your showrunner. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Number one, because they're not always there. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. usually like Nicole, because she's running the room while they're gone. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. You know what I mean? And you watch them, and you just see the rhythm. You see how they handle stuff. You see how they give you notes to something you're doing. Yep. You see how they talk to the network. Yeah. All those things, and you just start to go, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's you know? absolutely yeah. that. And to add in something that you mentioned earlier, so this is where you combine your superpowers, right? If you say you've got like three uh, secondary characters mm-hmm. on your show 
And like, I'm a person who, when I come in a room and I'm like, okay, let's talk about the episode. Mm -hmm. I, my formula is, and it's learned from watching people I worked with, right? Who I really liked their, their ideas. Right. We talk about, first of all, what do our main characters, what, what has to happen to them in this episode to get them to where we need them in the next episode? That's what's the emotion. Their, what's their emotional mm -hmm. arc? What, uh, do we owe anything from the last episode? Do we need to set up anything in the next episode? Mm. We put all that on the board. And it's like, who else do we have to service in the episode? Does anybody have any ideas? And you, having paid attention <laughs> and know those other characters and knowing how I like to break story, would come in and be like, actually, I have this idea for like a three-beat story for Nicole. And they'll be like, pitch it. Right. And even if it doesn't make it up, the fact that you had a place to start yep. has made the day better. Because sometimes they're like, okay, so what do we think about the other characters? And everyone's like, ugh. <laughs> yeah. I hate yeah. those characters. Yeah. I don't want to write for them. And it's like, too bad. That's yeah. part of our job. We got to yeah. write for them. Yeah. So someone who has a place to start, A plus two. Yeah. yeah. Right. Because it's a jump off. It may not even make it to the board, but at least got us thinking oh, about yes. something. Well, yeah. I, a lot of it, you know, is they always say, hey, like you burn too much story, so much story, because you, because yes. you, because you, because you might go through ten pitches before you find a thing that's that you're gonna land with, right. yeah. and those ten pitches all could be full episodes, full character things, for whatever it is. But then it's like maybe it's not quite working for this person. You know, just all this if you got to kind of figure out to get it to fit what you want. And what you're saying is mm -hmm. if you come prepared and thought about what it is. I mean, a lot of that. I, look, being prepared is the main thing. It's such a big thing. That's like you got to read the notes from the night before you, whatever it is, you got to read that stuff so you can come in and be able to talk. Which goes to what you're saying too about when you're out of the room. When you're out of the room, it sucks because the notes are like a summary, and you don't yeah. kind of catch. You're like what? What? What, what were they? What were they really talking about? Because I don't. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 you know. And, yeah. and then, oh, wait a minute, they changed names. What? What did this happen? Mm -hmm. Why did it happen? You yeah. know. But, yeah. Uh, I, I almost never leave the room when I'm on script anymore. I just write at nights and on weekends because I'm like, I, I mean, first of all, now usually nobody wants me to leave, but also <laughs> it's like, I'm just like, I, don't, I hate being out of the room. Mm. You miss a it. lot of yeah. stuff. A week is a long time it's to miss. It's a long time. It's a, yeah. You miss so much stuff. Let me ask you this. Uh, oh, you, uh, Lamont. So, you have any other questions? I do, but... Yeah. I'll give you one more, mm -hmm. and then we're going to swap you with uh, Jerry. Yeah, okay. no problem. Um, I have a, one more question, and but I did want to just kind of comment on something yeah. you said earlier. We, we do long episodes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was um, really great. You said uh, earlier, sometimes asking a question is, you know, almost better than a pitch, you know, because right. it, you know, and that is one thing I, I saw a co-producer she's dope and i saw her do it one time when i was kind of struggling with you know where where you know this is the beginning of the room and i was like mm -hmm. how do i get in here because there were so many good pictures in our room right. and i saw her ask a question and it just blew everything open you know and, it, and she posed she said i have a question blah 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 and i was like oh you can do that yeah. And it was like, we got on a roll after that. Mm -hmm. So that's fantastic advice because I, I, it made me remember that, that. I remember that happening and then I kind of relaxed a little bit. And yep. I was like, all right, I can ask a question, you know, if, yep. I'm, if yep. I'm struggling with getting. I know, love to ask questions better. because yep. I'm just kind of like, yes. I mean, but, but I saw I saw. Kim Rome, our supervising producer, she would go, she would go, question, why are we doing this? And I'd be like, 
oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's the because you know what a a lot of times when I'm working on my own stuff I'll like take a post-it note and say what's really the conflict in the scene before this that you know what I'm because I'm trying to figure something out and I'm asking myself questions all the time Mm -hmm. to figure out the story and it's just like well I've got six to eight people here to help me answer a question you know and even in my episode you still want to ask questions to get everyone thinking because questions if you pose a question people don't want to answer it yeah. This is the yeah. nature of a question. Yeah. Like, I ah, fucked it. No one does that. No one does that. Here's, here's the interesting thing, though. You said, she said, question, why are we doing that? It wasn't like, this is the stupidest thing in the world. Right. Yeah. Why are we doing this? It yeah. was like, why are we doing this? Yeah. Yes. It was like, can somebody help me yeah. so I get clarity? Yes. As yeah. opposed to coming in and messing up the whole board. You know Absolutely. what I mean? Absolutely. Right. And by the way, that is a great framework. Like, yeah. if you're really worried about the road you're going down, it is perfectly fine to be like, I'm sorry, you guys, I'm all, I, I might be a little confused. Can I just ask, like, can you clarify for me why we're doing it in this order? And then someone will. And sometimes when someone says it, everyone's like, wait a second, what? Yeah. Wait, that's your, that, yeah. that doesn't make sense. Or it does finally make sense to you, but you're like, I totally get what we're going for. I think we're missing a beat. Right. And you can pitch the thing that's missing that was making you worried. But mm-hmm. like it's just how you frame it always. Right. So but I'm glad you had that experience to yeah, see it. It was great. So my other question is this is for everybody and uh this is on pitching. Okay. Um when you pitch something, it doesn't necessarily In the room. In the room. Yes, okay. when you're pitching in the room <clears throat> and it doesn't necessarily get knocked down. So it's still alive, but it doesn't really land either. Mm-hmm. For I'd like to know for each one of you, how many times will you repitch that? <laughs> <laughs> I, my rule is like if my showrunner either says, I mean, a hard no, right, twice, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And I think you can get the tone of the room when you're like, like you pitch it, and they're like, I don't know, maybe, and they're talking about it, and you can try to explain why you think it works. Yeah. And sometimes the explanation yep. makes someone else go okay I get what you're after so what if we did whatever and they will make it better and then like part of your pitch is there and it's a better pitch for the thing I tend to if it if it goes and I try to be like well you know I was just thinking if we did whatever and then it still doesn't get any movement I'll just leave it alone because <coughs> if if what you've pitched doesn't get a big response and you explain it and it doesn't spark anything for anyone it's just at that moment not working it doesn't mean that two days later when you're still like we're back trying to figure out why act three didn't work you can be like i mean i know i floated it the other day could we try could we revisit doing whatever and maybe that day they're all like wait a second why didn't we do that that makes perfect sense or they could be like no here's why we didn't think that worked and they'll explain it to you the the that was great the other problem to that i think is the reason why it doesn't land sometimes is because of the timing of when you said it. Mm-hmm. Right. We might have been talking about Jerry's character, and all of a sudden you throw out something with Nicole's character, right? And we're like, "What?" Like, so everybody's going to be thrown by that. Yeah. You, you're just trying to participate, right, right? Instead of waiting for us to get to Nicole's character, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Or tying it in. Yes, absolutely. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's what gets it away but the other thing I love what you said sometimes you might come back later and it's still hitting your brain that I know this could actually fix it right. if we did this thing so you could do the thing where you you're at lunch you well now you're online right. you could text or inbox your showrunner and go hey I know I said this but here's why yeah. clarifying what she's saying 
I was thinking this because remember we got episode 107 coming over where we're going to do this thing I feel like if they did this it might help mm, yep great. that might help absolutely the pitch. it still may not land right. but at least it justifies why you brought it up again yeah you know what absolutely I mean? no that's great advice and the other thing I would say because I feel like this happens to all of us too is like you tried to pitch something it didn't work and somewhere in your brain is this like oh wait I think this thing did someone else pitch this yeah, yeah I can't yeah. remember was this a pitch and so here's all you have to say I feel like somebody else might have pitched this but yep. and you put it out there and right. that way you're not stealing anybody's yep. idea. Mm-hmm. That person's perfectly free to be like, oh, yeah, I pitched that the other day because X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Or someone else is going to be like, oh, that was Nicole's pitch. Right. And we and, and we talk about it again. Yep. Because if you brought it back up, it gives it a reason to exist in the conversation. And maybe it was exactly that thing. Mm-hmm. I pitched it when people weren't paying attention or we were trying to move to the act out. And I was like, but what about this character thing? And everyone was like, we don't care about the character <laughs> thing right now. Exactly. But now we care about the character thing. And yeah. you're going to be like, I feel like this came up in the room already. But right. what if we did whatever? That's a great yeah. way to phrase it. It o- yeah. It's going to save you every time. Right. Because there's nothing like pitching something and then somebody else 20 minutes later pitches the exact thing you said before. <laughs> And everybody gives them credit for it. Yes. It happens. It happens all the time. Because you're talking so much, you forget who said whatever. And quite frankly, everybody doesn't go home and read their notes every night. Right. They don't. They should, especially first year. They should. In your first year, for sure. Oh, yeah. 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 But yeah. that's And another thing you can do with pitching is, so say... You're, you've built a relationship with another lower level writer in the mm-hmm. room or like you have a good mentor in the room and like say you know you're the only person of color I'm the only woman in the mm-hmm. room even though I am also of color but right. um, in this instance and you come to me and you're like hey I want to pitch this thing and I'll be like okay I'll get your back when you pitch that when I pitch that we need to fix this thing on my female character though you're going to have my back and you make a right. team up yeah, and then it, even if the pitch Tag still doesn't team, go, back again. <laughs> you've got someone to chime in and help you when, like, because especially if it's a thing, right? If you're in a room where the showrunner's like, I don't really care about the female characters, and you're like, but we have to write them. Right, so, like, right. having another voice be like, no, I think that's great because it's like the the audience will really respond because of whatever. So you can, if you have relationships on the show, try to support each other yep. if it's a difficult pitch. That's great. So that's another thing to remember. So that's mm-hmm. so strange. To me that like that they someone would be like I don't care about the female characters I don't care about these it's just really oh. I look look I know it happens it happens all the time because you see it and stuff but it's like you know it's like on Star Trek we were so much into like how do we give seven of nine stuff to do is really cool how do we you know just Jerry Ryan's character we just yes. always like yes. you know and it's, it's also Terry yeah I mean Terry's great at that yeah yeah, it's just like I mean, it, it's it seems so. And then on the Equalizer, almost everyone is a woman, so right. you don't, you can't be like, ah, I don't care what they do. <laughs> yeah, ah, I don't care. But it, it's, and it's different things, right? It's the sometimes it's like no one wants to give the characters of color anything to do but like hang out, and yep. you're like, I mean, one we got line. characters. <laughs> like, can we give Sorry. them a story? Yeah. Can yeah. we do that? And so you just it's, it's it seems crazy to me because I'm because I'm like, look, if you wrote someone in the pilot, oh, I agree. If you put someone in, you better have been like, uh, they got so much shit that they're going to be going through that, you know, I mean, sometimes I get guilty of this. Like, hey, that person's got too much shit and not the the lead. But that's 
they're rich. They're gonna they're, they're gonna spark all this shit later on. They're yeah. gonna be there's so much baggage. Just like you know, but I I get. I mean, yeah, you yeah you see stuff. I guess you see the vault. Maybe, maybe uh, I don't know. Here's a, here's I don't a watch common thing that'll happen. That watch, so. so here's a common thing that'll happen is like on a procedural you, show, like let's say specifically a cop show, right? So you've got like the other cops who work in the bullpen, mm-hmm. and the the network absolutely wants you to have those cops because they want to have banter in the bullpen. Right, for sure. But then when you every time <laughs> you write a story for one of those characters, the network's like, we don't care. <laughs> and I'm like, I promise you the audience cares because they really like this actor or this actress. And I, it's going to help us because if we can make these characters pop and number one needs to take a week off, we can, we can do it. It's yep. going to work. And I'm like, oh, we don't care. And so I had an experience where I was writing a new pilot of my own and um, I... I was so frustrated with getting that note that I cut out all the secondary characters. Wow. Everything, like everyone is a main cast, absolutely <laughs> necessary to the pilot. And I remember my manager being like, oh, you don't have, and I was like, and I'm not adding them. And he was like, okay. Wow. <laughs> so we're bringing in Jerry Jerome, another right. emerging writer, sitting in here with us, brought Nicole some amazing flowers. He did. They're beautiful. Brought me a nice little bottle of uh, uh, sparkling cider. Yes, sir. Because I don't drink alcohol. I don't understand that shit. Um, <laughs> and then uh, I don't know. I didn't see what you bring, Chris. But I know you brought it. Yet. Huh? I haven't opened it. Okay. Uh, mystery man. Mystery man. Anyway, what's up? Well, thank you for letting me be here. I appreciate it. Um, I appreciate only having to sign away 10% of future earnings. That's it. Um, that's <laughs> that's all. it. I don't ask for much. It's 10%. It's, it's just all hell once. It's 10%. Pimp, pimp fees. That's, that's all. That's it. It's, that's you know. how you do in a bay, right? You know what I'm saying? All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do have two questions. Okay. Uh, thank you for letting me be here, first of all. But I want to ask one general question, and because I'm pretty green. Mm-hmm. What is a story area? So, great question. A story area is, it can happen really in two ways is the most common I've seen. Jerry's going to go get the book this week, by the way, just yes, so you know. I am. <laughs> so, first of all, what will happen, there are samples, by the way, in the book. I was very much yes, uh, hounded into putting samples Good. of story areas and outlines mm-hmm. in the book. Um, because that, that everyone's like, what does it look like? I don't know. So, here's two ways that it'll happen. You'll have days in the room where every, it's like, hey, we're doing story days. Everybody bring in story ideas. And you'll pitch a whole bunch of ideas for episodes of like, we could do this case, like especially if you're on a cop show. Right? We could do this case or Just a blue, medical blue show. Stuff Here's or? all the like uh, diseases I'm interested right. in. And we could do it this way. And it could tie into the main character this way. And this like very big blue sky pitching, right? And the showrunner will be like, ooh, I love that one. I love that one. I love, love that one. Write me a story area. And what it basically is, is anywhere from a paragraph to a two-page, usually, document where you talk about the episode. It's like, here's the big ideas of the episode. This could be a great guest star opportunity. Mm. Um, Here's how it's going to really affect our main characters. And here's like a cool moment that might happen. So it's very broad and not has, it does not have a lot of detail. And that will go to the studio and to the network so they can sign off ahead of time so that you don't spend, especially on a broadcast show, valuable room time breaking an episode that they are not going to be interested in. The other way that it happens is 
you know that you you don't really get those kind of blow up notes from your studio and network because you're the kind of person who's managed to navigate that (laughs) and so you will break your episode right you will do the episode break and then you will go from that to write the story area and that's usually when you're doing the the more synopsis type thing where it's four to six pages so it's got a little more detail so one's based on the story one's more based on you know the whole outline plot of the story yeah it's sort of like it's, it's sort of like a document that's like explain to me why we're doing this right but in a dramatic but you got to write it in a dramatic way yeah. so that they go oh this could be cool yeah I like, see what it is you and can add you can add elements of in in 103 we did this so right. this is it's like uh, uh, what, what do they call it? That little thing where you do uh, on the last episode? Yes, yeah, so previously <laughs> you, you on. Do that. That's what you right. That. And oftentimes they're part of the document, depending yeah. on your showrunner style, right? But it's li- like you could literally be like, um, you know, remember in episode three of season two when everybody fell in love with that character? Guess who's coming back to visit? Right. And it is very salesy and very like this episode's gonna be great and so they go okay cool go yeah. ahead and do it yeah it's, it's sometimes right now language is weird to me because I'm, I'm like <laughs> what do you mean <laughs> 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 what, 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 give you some, what, what are we gonna give you something bad because we can't give you anything bad but you know I, mean, I, know. I, I guess I guess the main thing is also part of the sales of it is is that you know those executives have got the whole slate of what's on they got to look at those documents. So you got to kind of entertain them in what you're writing. You just mm-hmm. can't like say, here's a story, blah, 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 blah. Like you can't just roll out the facts of it because that's not, because, you know, this is your far away for them to probably reject it, even if it's a good idea because you haven't yes. sold them on the emotional hook of it yet. Yeah. Yeah. And you'll be real frustrated because at certain points you will pitch great ideas for episodes and then you're going to get a note like I got for this amazing <laughs> episode I had that I'm not telling you about because someday I'm still writing this on a show. And the network was like, we just don't care. And my whole writer's wow. room was ready to riot because they were like, it's so hard to find an original idea you have never seen on a procedural show. And I had one. Mm. And they were like, we don't care. <laughs> so I'm writing it someday. Fuck right. down. <laughs> what, what else you got, Jerry? So, another question I have. Into the mic. I'm sorry. So, another question I have is this. I am I, t- I have a tendency to write period piece dramas. Mm-hmm. And I saw your credit on The Banker. Real mm-hmm. good film. Thank you. Um, my question is, when you're writing something that's going from source material, how do you still keep up that narrative, but still write the character in a way that's surprising? I mean, a lot of that will depend on how true to the source material you're going to stay. Um, you know, it's, it's especially a struggle if you're writing about real people. Yeah. It is a challenge. Um, and, and I will say the best advice I can give you is to be inspired by. That's exactly what I was thinking. Not based on <clears throat> the life of. Because inspired by gives you more leeway. And what's going to happen is everything you love about this person's story will be what, like the studio or the pod you're working with will love it, but they're going to say, well, we're not making a documentary. So you're going to need the freedom to like put in stuff that makes it feel like a story and not like we're just telling the ABC of this person's life. 
But you also realize this, though, right? Everything that you write up based on someone's <clears> life, not every moment's been documented, right? They're right. So you got to say gaps. So so you got to say to yeah. yourself, what's the scene that that could have led to him or her to get here? Yes. You know what's mm. the, the the scene that did this? You know that that you know that's not that didn't work. But yep. you but like if you know your characters enough and know the, the like the trajectory of your life in a certain way, and you know kind of how life works, you can figure out scenes that are like oh this would have said like I read this movie about Orson Welles right. It was just about a time period when he was trying to like 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 work in Europe for the first time. And I was doing this thing throughout the movie where I was like, because I know this works for me as a director. Things happen to me in life that I'm like, oh, this would be a cool scene in a movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, this would be a cool scene in a movie. And I and and I remember I when I was first out here, I had this conversation with Billy Wilder, and I asked him about a scene in in the scene with the monkey the monkey funeral in the top of Sunset right. Boulevard, and I was like. Did you make that up, or did you see this? He's like, oh, I saw that, but not in that, but not in the version of the movie. Mm-hmm. Right. So I was like, <clears throat> if I was writing a movie about Billy Wilder when he was younger, I might have him see that monkey funeral to know it's a callback to oh, thirty years later, I'm gonna put. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Right. It's like a piece that's something that you know would inspire you in life. So right. I wrote, I wrote these scenes where things like that were happening in the background, so they weren't with the main thing that. The was about but if you're clever and you know Orson Welles' work you go oh he's showing how we got the idea for that movie 10 years Correct. later in this one scene that's right. about something else you know yeah I would yeah okay no and I was gonna say so I just went through uh, you know the experience with writing Spark where I literally got to spend tons of time talking to Miss Colvin who's mm-hmm. a delight by the way and tells a great story even at 83 <laughs> and um, it was right but there's things that there's the stuff in her life that was so important she will never forget and then there's the stuff that she's like i don't you know i don't really remember about like what we did after school or whatever so that's right all of that becomes story fodder because i need scenes with her in her young life doing stuff so if she doesn't have specific things Mm -hmm. to anchor it to i can think about like what do i think this little girl's life was like based on what she's told me and what i've read how can i build out her life in a way that (coughs) makes the story more vibrant and more real and feel universal in that very specific way so yeah i was gonna say I've, i've written a lot of historical stuff and bio stuff well here's what i would say and you used the exact word I was going to use. If you say it's inspired by, that means we know that this character did these things in history. But like Chris was just saying, we don't know how they got there. For some, especially the people back in the 1800s and shit that we've written. Yeah. You don't know who those people are at all. All you know is this person was the first female black buffalo soldier. And we know that she died here. All yeah. that other shit is missing. Right? And so... For example, I was just thinking as Chris was talking a moment ago, like I written, I wrote the story, um, the disco singer Sylvester, right? And that was a calling card for with, for me for a long time. Sometimes you write a script that's passionate and it just gets you jobs, mm-hmm. never gets done, right? There's a moment we were talking about moments ago, where I remember when I was doing some research on him, there was something about he, he used to hang around a, hang around a group of. Um, gay kids that dressed like women, mm. they were called the Disco Tays back in like the 60s. 
and they would go to clubs and they would be the life of the party, you know, whatever. And I was like, how would they get to this party? And I went and I saw, like Chris was saying, a vision. I had a vision of all these club kids, which I used to be one, mm-hmm. hanging out. Everybody's putting on their makeup over this beautiful narrative that we hear Sylvester telling this story of how they all came together and yada, yada, yada. And they all hit the streets and they go from looking like boys to fully girls and we see from the heels up as they are finally in their in their prime. And they're all heading to this house party. And this isn't what happened. This right. is you having license. Right. Right. So I said, how can I Sylvester, one of the things I set up earlier is a, a, a drag queen says to him, the one who introduces him to disco taze, never let anybody upstage you. So that's his theme of his whole thing is that. So when how can I establish this early? So here's what I did. They're heading to the party. You see the party. You see the cars pulling up, all that shit. And all the discotheques are saying their little theme that they do before they go in, which I made up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And they're heading in. And all of a sudden, Sylvester trips. And he breaks his heel. And everybody's like, oh, shit. He's like, you guys go. And I'll, I'll meet you guys in there. They all leave. And all of a sudden, we see the little nice, slight little smile on his face. And he walks around to an abandoned house that's like two doors down. He goes around in the back. He had already pre-planned it. He had a little bag. He takes out the bag and puts on his wig that he wasn't going to wear earlier and all this other stuff. Puts on some roller skates and skates down Mm. during a song that's playing in there. And he starts singing the song. Mm. And everybody's peeking out the window, looking at it. And he makes this grand entrance Mm -hmm. you know what i mean Mm -hmm. i was like this is our movie moment that every star is gonna want to play yep not in the book not in the documentary i made it up you know what i'm saying but that's how you have to be it's okay to have license because i said it's inspired by them right right you see what i mean because there's all it says is they go to parties didn't say how they got there so i had to create that yeah because the thing thing about you know the thing about like I just saw the Elvis movie recently. Uh, I, I personally loved it, and it's like there's so many scenes <clears throat> in there that have been documented by right. all. I mean, he's one of these. He's multiple. He's been documented by so many, so many people, so many times. The scenes that you look at and go, "Oh, this is like not documented." This is what I find interesting. Yes. Like there's mm-hmm. a scene when he's talking with. Uh, Tom Hanks on the Ferris wheel mm, you know yeah, about yeah. what that is about yeah. hey I can help you out blah 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 it's like did, did that scene happen I, I you know like, I don't really know like, I can see he's, he's, he's like approaching him from behind at a like it's creepy like, at this carnival yeah. and he's like thinking and it's this weird flash cuss and stuff like that and I'm like this is not in documentation but it's like it's a cinematic thing mm-hmm. right so much we gotta think about particularly if you're writing a movie is what are these is the the cinematic moments right. that are gonna yeah. draw you? Because the thing that's interesting about like the rise of television and the demise of movies is is that we always quote movies in the writers room. Yeah, we yes. always quote movies. All it drives day. me nuts, by the way. But they do more movies than TV shows, and and the scenes. They like. almost never yes. do. They almost never yes. do television yeah. in the writers room. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's because 
the moments in movies are so distilled yeah. down to be a combination of, of acting. Yeah. They're recited. It, it, they're, well, yeah. no, but but it, but it's if you think about what you do in a movie that you don't have time to create okay. these kind of visual moments on right. a television because right. the, the budget of the the just the, the dynamics of the, the the of the different. It's like I can sculpt a scene in a movie mm-hmm. and maybe spend a day and a half creating this thirty second moment. That you're gonna be like, oh shit, (laughs) you know, and remember it. You would never get a chance to do that on on a television. You can't spend a day and a half to do thirty seconds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that is why people remember movies in a certain way differently because though because the the filmmaker is going, this moment is what everyone is gonna remember when they watch this movie, and it might only be a minute or whatever it is, but Mm -hmm. I might spend a day to do this because right. that's what I'm trying to convey to you. It's not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to convey the story right. in the movie. I'm trying to convey these moments that are like that will live in history. And that's the thing. You, and, but you think about <clears throat> that when everything you're doing, doesn't matter if you're doing a TV show period piece or a, t- or a movie period piece, you got to say to yourself, what are the moments that everyone is going to remember? You yeah. Know? Yeah. I, I, when I'm writing, I'm writing for two people. I'm writing for the reader first because they're the gatekeeper to read. Yes. And then I'm writing something I learned because my producing partner is a big casting director. She looks at things differently than I ever would have looked at because she has to get Nicole to star in this movie. Right. And she doesn't go, Nicole, read the script. She goes, Nicole, let me tell you about a couple scenes. Yep. And I learned that from her. So she's like, you have to be thinking about what are those movie commercial scenes that an actor is going to be like, oh, I, I, I get to shoot the gun like what? And I get to kill 30 people? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I never I never get to be an action star. You know, whatever it is. You know what yeah. I mean? And so those are the things that I'm looking at is what are those scenes that I'm grabbing? Like I said, that moment that I described to you is a beautiful moment for yeah. the first time we see him in all his wonder on page 20. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. We, it, it's, it's a big movie moment and everybody pops out their thing. He goes inside. He does this whole dance until the song ends. And everybody's watching it, and the same queen who gave him the thing said, "You upstage me." <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. It's a callback. Yeah, right? callback. Call exactly. 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 Yes, exactly. yeah. What, and, and another thing I would say too is because I feel like I hear sometimes young writers who have friends who are already like working on uh, support staff roles or whatever will say like, "Well, that's not producible." I I don't care. If it's your writing sample, it don't need to be producible. It's your chance to impress me when I'm staffing. I have a pilot that has gotten me lots and lots of meetings and it opens with a plane crash and then at the top of act three, we cut to an alien who swims with a great white shark. I do not care if it's producible. I care Never about the fact that, that I I am great white shark obsessed, and I yes. finally had a moment where I could yes. write about a shark and a pilot. I was taking it, <laughs> and like. And I, it's it's gotten me meetings with people I never thought I would meet because it's really like the opening is punches you in the gut, mm-hmm. and then right when you're starting to think you understand what the show is, it flips the script mm. on you at the top of Act Three, and you're okay. like, wait, what? And so <clears throat> don't worry about that. Don't. If when you're getting paid to write a pilot, you will have to worry about its producibility. Yes. Right <laughs> now, you are writing to make calling cards so that, just like Hilliard said, so that people will be like, I want to meet this person. Right. I want to talk to this person about what made them want to write this. Yep. So go balls out. Thanks. <laughs> I will. What else you got, Jerry? All right, I have one more question. Um, 
earlier there was a mentioning of a silent period and come into a room you come up with an idea you pitch something and then it just goes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if you're the writer who produced that idea and said it actually and said it out loud how do you sit comfortably in that silence without looking desperate I would say the best advice I could give you. So when I, my first show. We've all done it, by the way. We've all done it. Yes. Yes. Every writer. Every writer. Even the writers that you admire and think must be so brilliant definitely pitch things that were not. People were like, "Mm, I don't know about that. Um, So my first show didn't actually have a writer's room. So I didn't have a room experience till my second show. So I had a lot of, I had experience coming in, but that whole thing was still very overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And I wrote uh, a wonderful mentor of mine and said, I feel like the dumbest person in the room. And she said, I guarantee you everybody else feels that way. Yep. Because everyone's trying to prove that they belong there. Even the experienced people, especially if, you know, it's a showrunner they've never worked with before, all those things. They're trying to prove that they deserve the spot that they have. So everybody's worried about losing their job. Everybody, even, even the co EPs and EP, they're, yeah. they're all worried. Yeah, I mean, it, in la- again, unless it's like long term relationships, right. we've all worked. And even then, people still sometimes it's like it's not working. We got to change the dynamic. Yep. Someone's got to go. So n- everybody's wor- worried about: Am I pitch is going to land? Uh, you know, is the showrunner going to like me? Everyone has that. When you make the pitch, and it's uncomfortable silence. You, someone's gonna talk again. Yep. Like you don't have to. You don't have to fix it. If I'm like, well, what I was thinking is, could we do the a beat here where she crawls down and she goes through the window and she catches them in the act, and nobody responds, and I'm just like, okay. And then someone else will be like, okay, what if we did whatever and just move on? Yep. It's got to bounce right off you because it's just an idea. You're there for ideas. You're throwing out idea after idea after idea. And if you throw out 50 ideas and five of them make it on that board. That's great odds. Congratulations. (laughs) So, so you know what? There was this analogy that Damon Lindelof told me one time. He was (laughs) like, we are trying to get inside the castle. Hmm. And, 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 and the inside of the castle is the broken episode of Den. A lot of bodies are going to die on that wall <laughs> mm-hmm. trying to get in. That's brilliant. And it's just going to stack up and stack up and stack up. you gotta die, you, you got to be willing to die ten times a day and, be, and, and to come back tomorrow and die ten times a day again yep. so that someone else can, can, be up, can be on your body and jump, across, jump over the parapet. Yeah. That's the that's think, the only way you think about it. I think the difficult thing is this though. We all are artists and we all we all are insecure. All of us, right? And we're in an industry that keeps you insecure throughout your entire career and validates you with money and awards and stuff when you get to another place, even though you're this insecure person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's gonna stay in you no matter what. The best people in the room are the people who do exactly what Nicole and Chris were just saying. You pitch it, they don't like it, you go, all right, and you move the fuck on. And then the person who, just give me the, the person who's a showrunner or, or like Nicole, for example, who heard you just pitch that is going, oh, he at least threw, he threw something out. Yes. As opposed to just sitting there quiet. 
I'd rather you try to pitch something that ties in and not just some random yes. idea. At least I know you you put some thought into it. You know what right. I mean? If I can tell that like you pitched into the story we're working yeah. on, you're trying to you're trying. That's all that matters. It's like okay, because I mean, I have showrunners have come in and been like, okay, I had this idea last night. I want you guys to like <coughs> come up with like four or five beats for this, and they walk out of the room, and everybody uh, in the room is like, I hate that. Explain it. We need you to explain. Now, here's what I will say. I am the person who hates when the room is like, I don't want to do it for like an hour. When I'm like, if we just break it, we can come up with alt so that when we real when he realizes this is a yeah. crash and burn, we can be like, but here's the solution. Yes. So like grumble about it for a minute and then let's break the damn beats. Everybody go get some coffee, come back, and we're gonna work on it. And then we're gonna come up with alts because this is terrible. So (laughs) so here's the thing, right? I was reading this book just the other day. You know, and just there's people always talk about there's your IQ and there's this thing about your EQ, your emotional your emotional intelligence. This guy he came with this this thing that I never heard before. It's called your adversity quotient. Uh, your it's it's it is your it is your aq it is like how fast can you res- you know can bounce back once you get faced with adversity you know so you have mm-hmm. to be able to like it's like you, you have to toughen up your skin for whatever it is and he's like people who are successful have a high their aq is very high their eq and aq is high because it's like oh i'm gonna he- like c- like crash and burn and not let it like like you know like you know what I'm, I'm not gonna stay in the dirt for that long like how fast you know I always say hey you know like like you only you, you, you know like the, the you, you know if you knock me down I get up again I mean I don't get up again how fast you get up again is part of your you know is, is how you can combat the insecurity yes you know because right. if you because we all have it if we all want this validation from other people from our ideas all that kind of stuff like that but it's like hey you throw it out you get hit and then you can you know I mean you, you go like, I do this all the time you look at people's careers and study what do they do when something didn't work <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean you can go back and look at everybody's career they got some project that didn't everyone's like oh we forgot about that and and yes. this is this is when they're getting their Oscar you know the Emmy they're like, oh shit! Remember that time they did three, four pieces of shit, whatever it is. But it's, but you know what? They bounce back. They bounce. But people who don't bounce back, take it for whatever reason is they took it too hard, or they, or they waited too long to bounce back. You know, for whatever reason. But but you have to be able to like get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. I mean, look the the most honest thing <clears throat> any of us can tell you about this business is it's eighty five. Point nine percent no, yeah. And so you live for the rest of it. That's maybe or yes, but it's a lot of no. And you got to be able to just be like, okay, like I, there, I applied to so many writing programs when I was trying to break in, Mm. and like, there's a couple that I just couldn't move the needle. And my attitude was like, well, you'll be sorry someday, yep, because you could have been the one who launched my career, and now you won't be. Like, I just was like, I'm gonna put a little chip on my shoulder (laughs) about it. And I mean, I've worked with all those studios, so it's not like I'm like not gonna go work for them now. But I was a little like, but you don't get credit for starting me. So much of why you didn't get the job has nothing to do with you. Yep, it's I I remember the very first year I was out for staffing I was up for a job that it turned out a male writer friend of mine was up for and it was between the two of us and they hired him and of Mm -hmm. course I was heartbroken but he's my friend so I'm gonna be real happy for him and then my reps called me and they were like 
they, the room was so heavily female, they had to hire mm. another man. They were going to have one man in there by himself, which almost <laughs> never happens, no. right? It was the exact opposite of most writer's rooms. Right. And I was like, okay, because I'll, my friend, happy for him, and I can't fix that. Yep. That has nothing to do with me. Yeah. So sometimes it's the it's the pers- the makeup of the room. It's some someone else that they like just a little bit better had your superpower. Like it's it's nothing about you weren't good enough. It's the, this wasn't the right circumstance. For but you. see, this goes into why I'm always encouraging writers and actors and producers, directors, whatever you are, to make a short film and whatever independent films, whatever you do. Here's why. It teaches you a lot of this. It teaches you to sit behind a desk and have actors come in and read for you and be like, oh, I need to change this line of dialogue because of this. It teaches you these type of things that we're talking about so that you don't take things personally. You start to realize, I I did not hire her to play this role because she wasn't good. I didn't because she was too tall to the actor because Mm -hmm. there were two light-skinned girls and I needed some contrast it's stupid all, reasons why. All, I mean, look, I mean, that's the thing. You know, there's nothing that bothers me more than I see a movie and or a TV show and, like, the two mm-hmm. leads look yeah. so much the same. And yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like, you could have dyed someone's hair. Yeah. You know like what? And, 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 and guess what? You're dyeing your hair on my show or my movie. Cause I'm paying you six figures for like <laughs> for like six weeks. You gonna dye your hair, mm-hmm. or if you get to cut your hair, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. If I if I if I, if I want you, you know, oh, you know what? Because this dynamic and this dynamic, but that's my own. You know what? There's so many things you can't control. All you can control, and that will keep you feeling comfortable, is I can control what I can control. Right. If I do the best of controlling what I can control, then that's just then that's how it is you yeah. know now granted that means it's your scripts that means it's 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 how you sell yourself in the room you know i mean i mean i mean that's about all you can control you can't control your gender can't control like yeah. your race you know and you know and there's so much of that going on right now you you know but but you come in there and you can pitch you can pitch why you're the best person the best way that they're like, well, okay, I, I need this person, but yeah. even then, they, but yeah. see, that's all you can do, and you can say, I did my best. Yep. Absolutely. You know? Let me let me ask you a quick question before we wrap up. Yeah. I was thinking about this, and I think you you know this too, Chris. Ben, for example, has this rule where because we're in the middle of casting right now, we just cast our lead, who I can't say, mm-hmm. <laughs> but we're casting the supporting characters now, right? He won't read anybody. He won't hire anybody who won't read. I don't care how big a name they are. Like, he has this thing. And it comes from this. He's, like us, used to be an actor, right? Mm -hmm. So he has this thing where he believes if you read, you're probably more easy to work with. It's just that simple. I would If you're willing to do that, you're probably willing to take a note. You're probably willing to, you know what I mean? I just found it fascinating, you yeah. know, to yeah. see the people who are on that list who he said no to just because of that. Yeah. But you know what? I, I think that's a fair point because I think, you know, one of the one of the biggest struggles in production, and it's why it's really unfortunate that so many emerging writers aren't getting a chance to go to set mm-hmm. and cover set, <clears throat> is learning to negotiate the relationships with your actors, especially number one on the call sheet. Yep. 
Ooh, it can be fun. <laughs> Sometimes it's amazing. My first number one on the call sheet was Blair Underwood. I uh, could not have been more spoiled if my life yes. depended on it. I was like, now I'm going to expect everyone to be like you. Yes. <laughs> He's the greatest the human. Best. And just delightful. And like he made my first episode such a celebration because he knew it was my first episode yeah. and just a delightful human. And they're definitely not all like that. No. My, my first day on City of Angels, and I've told this story, I'll keep it short. Yeah. I was I I showed up I was early like you're supposed to be as an actor, and <laughs> I showed up. They the the assistant walks me to my trailer. I get in my trailer. You know when when you're on these sets they already have your outfits set up. So I'm putting all my stuff. Somebody brings me some food. You know it's it's nice, and I'm eating trying to put on my outfit and I get a knock on the. I'm like I just got here. I'm all in a mood. Open the door. There's Blair. I was like oh shit like hey what's happening? He's like hell. Welcome to the set. Put on your outfit. And he stood out there for five minutes as I put on my stuff. And he's like, let me walk around and introduce you to the whole cast. And I was like, what? That's Blair. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. That dude is dope. I'm sorry. That's, and if you get a number one like that on the call sheet, you are blessed. Because it that sets the tone, right? That's yeah. the tone for how set operates. You're not allowed to be an asshole when number one on the call sheet is that guy. And if you try to be an asshole, your showrunner's going to be thinking about writing you off. Because nobody wants... Like this, no, we have a nice thing. Don't yeah. ruin it. If you have an asshole as number one on the call sheet, that also sets the tone for yeah. set. And you as a writer covering set are coming into that situation and you have to know as much as you can about the history of it. What is, what's happened on the episodes before you? What, how does the crew feel about what's going on? Because your job really, you're there to produce an episode of television. And you were there to get it done on time and on budget and all those things. But your job really is to get the day done so your crew can go home. Correct. You, you want to make sure that nobody is the reason that your crew is going to go into overtime mm -hmm. and be dead tired driving home at 2 in the morning. Yep. And then the whole next day of shooting is screwed up because somebody wanted, didn't want to come out of their trailer. Yep. And sometimes you're going to need help with that. Sometimes you're going to be on the phone calling your showrunner being like, I have tried everything I can. So-and-so won't come out of the trailer. And either they will step in or they will find someone to go over your pay grade, especially if you're a lower level writer, yep. to handle the situation. Yep. But that's your job really is how can I help this crew of professional human beings get through their day and we make the best episode of television? Yep. Because... <laughs> your job like sometimes people go and they want to be like besties with the actors and stuff and look it's great when you have nice actors and yeah. you can have a relationship with them but the show's your responsibility not number one on the call sheet and sometimes that can be tricky for yeah. people what do you always say don't don't name a show after somebody what oh yeah say? oh Ooh, yeah. yes <laughs> don't ever name your show off of, off of the actor yeah because <laughs> they fuck up you, then you can't write them off right you know right but if they're the like like you said because People who are nightmares, you, you you look at a lot of stuff. People end up, hey, what happened to so and so? Yep. So and so got killed. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> that fuck. You know what? That fucked up my whole afternoon. Yeah. That person was an asshole, and they had to yeah. go. Uh -huh. Yeah. That's the thing yeah. that the audience doesn't know, but yeah. you on the staff are like, oh my god, we gotta get rid of. We yeah. gotta get rid yeah. of. We gotta get rid of. Because yeah. it just it causes me problems. You know what I mean? I you know. I don't want to get into to, 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 to my ailments. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But look, one of the greatest examples of that, and I don't know any of these people personally, but, you know, the first season of NYPD Blue was a, a hit. 
mm-hmm. great show mm-hmm. and homie's like peace out yeah. i don't want to do it anymore yeah. and you know like the, everybody was panicking mm-hmm. about what are we going to do what are we going to do what are we going to do and botch goes like i'm calling jimmy smith that's right. what i'm gonna do yep and the show was better than it ever was yep. mm-hmm. because he understood i'm going to bring in an actor who's never going to cause me a problem yep the sweetest dude I've met the him several times great professional yeah. and like in Bochco's book he talks about calling Jimmy and being like you want to stay in I think he was like in, in Saudi Arabia shooting a movie or something mm. and he was like you want to stay in the desert and try to be a movie star or you want to come star in my TV show <laughs> and Jimmy came and be at home with the kids like. and it was like <laughs> I mean right like right, right. <laughs> but he knew he was changing the quality of life right. for his show because now they were going to have Dennis Franz and they were going to have Jimmy Smith. These are professional human beings. I see. So it's, you know, and if you if you have someone who's difficult, it makes everything difficult. But it is the showrunner's job yeah. to wrangle that. Yeah, That's out of your pay grade right now, but it's, it's just good to know. Well, yeah, but it's, 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 good it's to a know. good point. It's a yeah. good point about, um, you know, pe- people, the, the, the number one can make the life of everybody terrible. Yes, and uh, sometimes I mean, and you think, you think, you get all this money, blah, blah blah. Like, shouldn't they be grateful about? I mean, shouldn't they be happy, excited? They're, no, no, no. Once yeah. they're there, that they can command a show to stay on the air. They're not. They're not always professional. But but sad. But it's the case. Carl Seaton told us something interesting big director that actually makes actually I'm sorry Carl and um, Ben and Ben we talked about this too when we did this episode and we know this from being an actor sometimes you actors are moody too oh yeah right so sometimes you come in and they put you in your outfit and you're like like I don't feel right in this thing so it's not making me feel right about this Mm -hmm. at all sometimes it's about what you're wearing it's about the way you stage it and, and, and so one of them gave us a great example of there was a scene they were doing and it turned out the actor was like, I'm the star of this show. Why am I the one who's not, the camera isn't doing this thing on me and why is it doing it on the guest star? Yeah. You know what I mean? But he didn't know how to say that. And they, he figured it out from being an actor going, oh, he, he wants this thing. Yes. So he had to pull the director aside and go, here's what's missing. This yep. is his show. We have to do this thing. Yeah, right. No it's, a, it's a small but, thing. Yeah, but, yeah, but, but, but remember yeah. the story that Ben told just the other night about the other show about the two actresses, and he was like, yeah. oh, I mean, <laughs> I mean, just like the thing about showrunner being a director on the show is you got to deal with, uh, with it's like an exponential number of personalities that you do as yeah. a writer. And when they throw you in the production, do your episode, you then have to start doing that. And it's not really a skill set that you've developed yet, you know, mm-hmm. or that you might ever not develop because you, cause you might not go to set enough. But but the director and the showrunner, they got to deal with there's so many personalities. I mean, that's a lot of your job <coughs> is managing personalities. Yep. Yes. Because everyone, cause if, if people, people know how to do their job, they know how to say the lines and do all stuff like that, but it's like, I gotta like convince you to do your job mm. or convince you to do this part. Yep. This way. Mm. It's this convi- convincing and persuasion that is not a writer's job, and then and you and you have to be aware of that mm-hmm. a lot yeah. when you go to set. You know? Yeah, 
And to, to just piggyback on what you were just talking about, Hilliard, it, because I think it, it's a universal thing and it also comes back to the writer's room, is that that is a, an actor having a specific day, mm. right? That's yeah. a, like, I'm having a bad day. Everybody has bad days. Yeah. You will have bad days. The showrunner you love will have bad days. Yep. The director you can't wait to work with again will have a bad day. Everybody gets to have a bad day, and you will help negotiate through. You will have a bad day, and you will hope on that day someone has the grace to be like, ooh, Nicole's in a mood today. <laughs> Let's order from her favorite exactly. lunch spot. Maybe yes. she'll be in a better mood. Like, whatever it is. And so those are the times that you really just got to be a person, and you just got to be like, you know, like your showrunner comes in and is kind of short with everybody, and like you can ask their assistant, like is something going? Like is he have? Is everything okay? Yeah. And you might find out that like their kids sick that day and they're stressed about their kids. Yeah. So everybody can just take that into account and be a little bit more graceful with with that person. You're on set, and an actors like who normally behaves really well is like <laughs> really giving you a the business today. And you can, like go to their hair, to the hair and makeup people and be like, you. Did y'all hear anything today? Mm -hmm. And they'd be like, oh, broke up with the girlfriend last night. And right. you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> and so then Now you, you have ammunition. Now, you won't so use it, but you now you know. Now you know. Yeah. So now you can walk over and be like, and I could walk and be like, Hilliard, how you doing today, baby? And mm -hmm. like, be a little gentle and be a little like, come mm -hmm. on. Like, I know, like, I'm here. It's I got you. It's okay. We right. all love you. It's going to be fine. Never bringing up their personal yep. situation. But now I can respond to them in a different way. So it's, it's just really important. Like, <coughs> I tell people there's a big difference between a showrunner who has a bad day and a bad showrunner. Mm -hmm. and, and that's mm -hmm. true of all, every job in this business. Yeah. So Awesome. Well, thank y'all. This was a dope episode. Thank you, Nicole, as thank always, you. coming to hang out with us. Um, where are you at, Jerry? Where could people follow you on Instagram or Twitter or whatever? You're going to get mad because I didn't put it the way you... I'm sorry, you're getting mad because I, I didn't care. put Jerry You should. <laughs> <laughs> I, Nicole, I'm always getting on everybody about not putting their names in there because I'm like, what's that dude's name and what's that woman's yeah. name again? Ah, it drives me crazy. You can find me at Jerry Jerome at Built in the Day on Twitter. Okay, better. Okay. That's good. <laughs> hmm. uh, <laughs> Nicole Levy, just go ahead and promote the book when you guys drop again. I know you got a big party coming up. Yes. You know, that everybody should go to. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, uh, the Writer's Room Survival Guide. It drops on October 4th, so a week from Tuesday. Mm -hmm. You still um, can get your pre-orders in if you still want. Still get your pre-orders in. Link in the bio. I don't the bio, but... Um, Look at the show notes. Look yes, at the show is. notes. Yes. And like you can go to Amazon. If you're one of those people <coughs> who's like Amazon's not getting my money, you can go to Bookshop and they'll help you support a local bookshop in your area. Awesome. And um, or, you know, you could just go to a bookstore and, and uh, hope that they have it or order it from them. And uh, yeah. I have all of the assistants in, 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 in the office. I have all the writer's room assistants and support staff. They all are putting their pre-orders in. So, because I, I literally have it sitting on my desk every day. So everybody's like, <laughs> everybody's like, what is that? I'm like, bitch, go get the damn book. I love it. <laughs> I'm I like, fine, it. I'll pay for yours and I'll pay for yours. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yes. 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 Um, awesome. And you say where you're on Twitter and stuff? Uh, on Twitter, uh, my social media handle is Nicole Cookies. 
Mm -hmm. And my first name, because if if you're not looking at it, you'll be like, what? It's N-I-C-E-O-L-E, Nice Ole I was about to say, I said I would say Nice Ole. That's how I teach people how to spell it. Um, (laughs) And it is that because my backup plan was my baking business. And so I was on social media promoting my cookies and desserts. And then follow her. She be cooking too. She well, be I do. Some. And then when I transition, when the Didn't right thing actually worked out, about? I mean, I was just <laughs> driving here from another city. <laughs> but um, uh, when I transitioned, I bring baked goods into my uh, writers' rooms. Right. So I just kept the handle. So that's good. That's cute. That's cute. Chris, Derek, where you at? Uh, unauthorized CBD on Twitter and Instagram. Awesome. And like I said, we had my man sitting in with us, Lamonte, uh, Lamont, Lamont Edwards. Mm-hmm. I always even say Lamonte because of the way you spell it. <laughs> I know it's, it's, it's like an E apostrophe. Then? Yeah, black no, folks it's, always it's fucking with silent E. <laughs> silent E. I'm trying to be fancy, but I, I answer the both. So where, where, where can people follow you at? I'm on Instagram at Lamont. That's L A M O N T E underscore Edwards twenty. You're not on Twitter. I'm not on Twitter. Black folks. See? I'm not. You know what I'm talking about? It's it. Twitter it's dangerous it's dangerous man <laughs> like, here's the secret to Twitter you go on you follow the people you're gonna follow you make lists and uh, you only look at your list so you don't have to go in the echo chamber of all the craziness okay. you just go to your list every day I hop on Twitter I look at my personal list I look at my trades I look at my Marvel list <laughs> I take a break I come back yeah. and look at some other stuff That's but funny. I'm telling you lists are the secret okay that's okay yeah twitter i was all over the place with that and it just it became like a job yeah i was like i can't do this anymore yeah yeah that that's the problem so all right well thank you man thank you thank you for coming through again i'm your host hilliard guest you guys can find me on twitter at hilliard guest on uh twitter instagram facebook everywhere at my name by the way Mm. i said it no just kidding (laughs) um you guys can go on um Twitter, uh, Twitter, shut up. Uh, uh, please go on iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Um, there's Archer or something. What are we on? Something. What's it oh, called? It Anchor FM. Anchor. We're on. We're on everything. Overcast. We're on everything. We're, yeah. we're on everything. Like, 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 wherever, wherever you're listening to this, please go on. Yes. Give it a five-star rating. <clears throat> give it a review if it lets you give a review. You know, just keep, you know, and listen to the whole episode. Don't cut out now. Let it all play through so to the Matrix help. That's funny. That's funny. Yeah, we need that five-star review. Um, also, please go, go on our what our. Oh, uh, go website. on to ScreenwritersRR.com, and you can find our Patreon link and support the show. Yeah. Five can, million, two million. Five million, two million, you know, whatever it is. Support the show. You know. <laughs> yes, please support the show. ScreenwritersRR.com. That's what's up. Thank you, everybody joining me for 2022. Everybody. Y'all know how we do it on the Rant Room. Thank you again, Nicole. Love you, girl. Thank you. Um, uh, you on, the, on the Rant Room, we keep it real. We keep it opinionated. We keep it what? Everybody. 2022. Peace, y'all. Yeah, man, I got something to get off my chest. Everyone got one. What's your opinion? This is the Rant Room. Tongues won't be bitten. Ain't no rules. Just spill it. And anybody can get it. No limit. We get to kill it. You tuning into the thrillers. And no, ain't no stop. Any topic, even the random random. I hope that you ready, we entering in the zone soon We on a grown shit, welcome to the random That's it, that's all I got to say